Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. TGIF. Happy Friday, everyone, with Brooke Grimsley and Danny Mack. I'm Randy Carricker at 7 o'clock in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's a second alert weather day here on 101 ESPN. And uh, we've got the Snowmageddon forecast. Snow zone is what we've decided to market ourselves as. Now in the 101 ESPN snow zone, we have determined that there's going to be snow today in St. Louis. The official meteorologists are saying two inches, so we'll go with one. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe none. Or maybe none. But slushy roads nonetheless. So yeah, watch out for that. Yeah, just be careful. It's going to be cold out there. Wear a coat and drive slow. And next week, 67 one of these days? 67 on Wednesday, golf weather. It's going to be fantastic. We'll have to get out, Randall. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. I like and it. And Brooke, too. She's learning how to play golf. So. I don't think you guys want me out there yet. Yeah, just, we do. Just being fair. Yeah. I might ruin it. Well, yeah, you just pick up. If it's not going well, you just pick up, put down a four or five, and move on. I do that all the time. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you're putting down fours and fives yeah. when you pick up. Uh, I mean, yeah. That seems a little have... sketchy, doesn't it? Hey, five newcomers, there. man. Maybe six, seven. <laughs> We've got quite a show coming up. Tiger is back with back spasms. I wonder how long he's had those. Don't do it. Oh. About a week back. Thank you. Yes. Oh, man, no. <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, we're going to talk to Jay Delsing about that at the bottom of this hour. Robert Thomas will join us. At, is this true at 845? 845 for Robert Thomas? 830 for Robert Thomas. Oh, okay. So we have a late fight? Late, Early fight, actually, because we have Matt oh. Seaback at 845 bringing in city jerseys. Oh, that's right. Okay. So oh, sorry, early excuse edition me. of the fight. Kits. Uh, that oh. official announcement coming at 8 o'clock, it's been embargoed, so we, you didn't hear what, you, what Matthew just said. No, people know what's coming. You just can't show it until 8 a.m. Oh. oh, okay. Sounds good. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we have Joe Vitale also. Joe, Joey is going to join us at 9 o'clock. So this show is, relative to most Fridays, a mess. <laughs> <laughs> There's just, just a lot happening. A lot of people want yeah. to talk to us. Yeah. This is this is what's happening this, here, Randy. This is called moving parts, is it not? <laughs> yes, it is. An exciting night for the Blues last night over at Enterprise Center. They bounce back from uh, an uninspired effort against Toronto on Monday night, and they knock off the Oilers by a score of 6-3. to three. They were energized even in the first period when they trailed 2-1 to one after that frame, but then the Blues came out for the second, and young Jake Nabors, N-E-I-G-H-B-O-U-R-S, uh, Jake Nabors tied the game. Out of the corner, Shin to Kapanen, wires it at another shot wide. Over to Tory Krug, into the middle, deflected on, Skinner the save. Neighbors a rebound, he scores! Jake Neighbors! They kept coming, they didn't 
stop. And Jake Neighbors makes it count. Two to two the score, 18.51 to go, second period. That's Neighbors' 19th of the year from Schenner and Krug. And then at the 8.37 mark, the red-hot Tory Krug stayed that way. Kapanen wires one on. Save made. Stuart Skinner at the line. Kessel holds it in. Wrist shot. Save. Rebound. Into the middle. It goes. He scores! Krug buries it. Neighbors assisted it. 3-2 to two, St. Louis. 11.23 to go. Period number two. And in the final five minutes of the second period, Kairou scoring on the power play from Neighbors and Thomas. At 1935, Bucci scores on a power play from Thomas and Kairou. Then in the third, the teams traded goals. The Blues win it by a score of 6-3. to three. Jordan Biddington was unfreaking believable. And I would say that that was one of the Blues' best two or three performances of the season. Would you say that it's a statement win for the Blues? But for Jordan Bennington, what you were talking about, once again, he put the team in a position to win. He was just standing on his head in the first period. He had to make some adjustment there and also had to do the same, some in the second and third. But once again, he is the star of the show. Despite when you see Robert Thomas and Jake Neighbors with three points each, they deserve a lot of credit. But once again... Jordan Biddington continues to impress. They controlled McDavid. I, I thought that was the key. And now he did put up three assists, but 11-15 in the final two periods he was on the ice, he had two shots. And if you can control him and Dreisaitl, to some extent, you have a chance to beat the Oilers, who came into that game, should not be overlooked. They were 18-2 and two in yep. their last 20. And McDavid was coming off a six-point night. So when you win that game, yes, to your point, Brooke, I think it's a statement game, and it's a huge win to start the four-game homestand for the Blues. I was most impressed with the adjustments they were able to make after that first period, as you were just talking about earlier, Randy. I mean, the offensive zone time, forecheck, discipline that they showed was just completely different after that first period. That's how you can beat Edmonton. You, you have to control the tempo. And the way that you, you keep McDavid and Dreisaitl off the board, number one, Blues did an unbelievable job on the PK. Didn't do, they had almost six consecutive minutes of power play time where they didn't score, and I thought I was going to come back to Burnham. But their PK is terrific. But the big thing you have to do against them is maintain puck possession. Yep. Don't let them have the puck. There were two things that stood out for me watching the game. The relief by Tory Krug getting a goal, mm-hmm. who, and he's playing well. He had the five-point game and now the uh, the goal last night. But then the save on Zach Hyman. I mean, when he made yeah. that save, Bennington had 37 last night. He should not be overlooked in just how well he is playing. He is giving the Blues a chance to make the playoffs. He's not getting the national credit that he deserves. I, I love listening to Joey and Curbs last night in their post-game comments, and Joey went on this whole rant about how nationally – Jordan Bennington isn't the credit that he getting the credit that he deserves this season because sometimes you might look at some of the numbers. I understand that there's goalies that might have a little bit better numbers, but if you're watching him every single game, he is the reason that the Blues are in this position right now and keeps them in games and helps them win games. Shouldn't be overlooked. Robert Thomas, we're going to visit with him coming mm-hmm. up on the show, but how well he is playing. He had a goal and two assists. Jake Neighbors, a three-point night, but Robert Thomas, I think we're taking it for granted just how well he's played in the season he's putting together, which is a 92-point uh, trend towards what his season could be, which would be the most points since the cap era for a blue. 92 points, and he's got a chance to do that. He's really having a great year, and he's having a great start to his career. He's actually in the in number of points versus number of games. He's comparable to uh, Nathan McKinnon, yes, which is pretty incredible. Yes, we don't and think of him in, in those terms. So they've got three more to go on the homestand, and then I think at that point you have a better direction of what you want to do 
with the trade deadline. I, I do. I think when you finish up the homestand, you take a real hard look at your team and then figure out what you want to do. Spring training continues down in Florida today. Later on in the show, we're going to hear some of the things that Ali Marmol had to say to MLB Network. But one of the things he talked about was his expectations for Nolan Gorman, if Gorman is healthy. And Dan, I asked you before we came on the air if you thought that Gorman could do what Schwarber does, and you said? Absolutely. I, I think he, because he's only 23, and so he had the terrible June. And is he going to have his fair amount of strikeouts? Yes, he will. Will guys pitch him up with a fastball and he'll he gets enticed with it? Will he go after it? Yes, he will. But exit velocity, I was just looking at this the other day. His launch angle, uh, the hard hit rate, all were on the rise in a big way. The biggest thing for me, guys, is that he's got to stay on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the back issues. Don't say it, Randy. How long has he had him, Dan? Don't worry oh, about, about it. A week back. I'm not Carrie. <laughs> Carrie's in the afternoons. Carrie would jump on that one, and I'm not doing it. It's like Yoho. I'm not touching Yoho except one time a <laughs> show. Proud of Randy. But <laughs> one with the the back. He's only 23 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at this too. Only Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Wood Jr. at the age 23 mark last year was hitting more home runs than Nolan Gorman, and he's left-handed. That's the Mm -hmm. other thing, that left-handed power man is hard to find in the game. And that's why it'd be hard to part when we're talking about trades, that mm -hmm. left-handed power bat, the fact that he is homegrown, you could keep that here. That's not something you come across all the time. That'd be hard to get rid of. But the biggest thing is, will he be able to stay healthy, like you're saying, Dan? And will those home runs be enough? It's it, You can hit all the home runs in the world, but if you can't pitch at the end of the day, then it's almost impossible to win. That's what I was looking at. I know we're going to talk about this, but Jim Bowden going with his projections of off-seasons and where teams mm-hmm. are at. First thing I look at, rotations. What does yeah. your pitching look like? And that'll give you a shot to win. Absolutely. College basketball, Iowa's Caitlin Clark becoming the NCAA women's all-time leading scorer last night. She now has 3,569 career points. Here she is after the game. I don't know if you can really script it any better and just to do it in this fashion I'm very grateful I'm very thankful to be surrounded by so many people that have kind of been my foundation and everything that I've done since I was a young little girl and I started crying watching that video just because I'm just filled with so much gratitude and love and the way the fa- these fans support women's basketball is so much special is so special and you all know I was going to shoot a logo three for the record come on now <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. The fact that she did it in that manner, straight from the logo, in her signature, I mean, a deep, very, very Steph deep Curry, three. Right? Yes, and she dropped a career-high 49 points. She now has 3,569 career points, and she's still going. Now the big question is, will she stay for another year? Because she does have one more year mm-hmm. of eligibility, or does she go to the WNBA? I bet she stays because of NIL, and she's packing these places to where... It is if you're Iowa, you're saying she's making us a lot of money. We got to make sure and take care of her, and she can probably make more there than she can in the WNBA. And that's my point. Um, I, I don't like it when they say about her. Well, she's the best in her sport. No, she's one of the best in all of sports yeah. right you. now. She's yeah. that entertaining. I, you know, the men's game is fine. I don't really like it this year I, because there's so many transfers and guys going this way and that way. It's hard to remember where certain teams are, and I think that's where you build an affinity for programs because you know the teams. But, man, she's entertainment personified. I, I just love watching her play. Tim Legler was on Unsportsmanlike, and he, he said that the three most entertaining players he ever watched that were must-see TV were Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, and Caitlin Clark. 
It's amazing. Yeah, not just the best in her sport, but right now in all of sports. I love that you said that, Dan, because I think it's very important for people to hear that because she is. She's electric. She's fun to watch, and she's really, really good, obviously, at what she does, and she deserves that credit for all that she's been able to accomplish so far in her career. And I just think about so many of the young girls watching this right now who are going to be motivated, picking up basketball after watching what she's been able to do. Firing up threes. We talked to Dan Rolf, the head coach at, at Incarnate Word yesterday about his team's pursuit of a Missouri record 124th consecutive victory. They got it last night with a 75-32 win over Ursuline. Barn burner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to Incarnate. Uh, 124 straight wins. And uh, they will have uh, uh, I'm going to go next week when they play Burroughs. And, uh, Where's that at? It's going to be at Incarnate. I may join you. That'd be great. Yeah. Our buddy Tom Dolan's going to be there. Maggie Hody from our sales yeah. staff uh, who played at Incarnate Word is going to be there. So it's going it's to be fun. Cool. It's going to be good. And I don't know if you guys saw this late, actually early this morning, uh, but the story of Lisa Lopez Galvin, the woman killed in the mass shooting at the Chiefs Parade. Her family had put up a GoFundMe to pay for expenses for her death. Taylor Swift made a $50,000 donation and then eight minutes later made another $50,000 donation. So Taylor Swift giving $100,000 to her family uh, so that they can pay some expenses and get through life as well as they can with their tragic, tragic loss of their their wife and mother. That's... uh when you just said that, that almost made me emotional just thinking about that, that Taylor Swift did that. I know that so many other people are going to donate as well, but it's still just so hard thinking about what happened just here recently with that Chiefs Super Bowl parade and the fact that people are going to give back Taylor Swift. Her doing that is huge. Yeah, it's great. And it should be done. That's the other thing yeah. that should be yeah. said that that should be done. Yeah. So she's a bill- worth a billion dollars in affiliated now with the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey, and that's a, a, you know, a move that probably should be done. But for those of you that uh, went on social media and said that she's the most dislikable person exactly. in the world, delete your tweets and stuff. You just, come on. You know so. that they're not going to do that. They'll find some way to double down. Yeah, well, that's, Haters uh, will always I, hate. I, I would say the evidence falls on the side of Taylor Swift being a good person rather than them. And when I say it should not. be done because she's worth a billion, that, that's one thing, but it, it's also the thing to actually do it. Well, yeah. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. Hopefully I get that clear. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but and you... you I'm not doing this to disparage anybody, but Taylor Swift is the one whose name is on the list. The Chiefs aren't on the list. Clark Hunt's not on the list. And maybe they will be, and I know that they care and they're concerned about the family of uh, Lisa Lopez Galvin. But the fact of the matter is Taylor Swift did it. Yeah, she did. She did. And wrote on on the page, uh, sending my deepest sympathies and condolences in the wake of your devastating loss with love, Taylor Swift. Well, and I'm sure there will be some people who comment, oh, she wants the attention from that, yeah, right? She needs but attention. here's the thing, she's doing that, one, to show that she is giving back, and two, to inspire others and bring attention to it so that they will also give back. Yeah, so good for her. It's, it's, the only, it's only good. It, uh, it can only be construed as good in my mind. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, there we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Jim Bowden of The Athletic has his preseason power rankings out. He doesn't love the Cardinals as much as we do. That's next <laughs> on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, spring training has started, and that means that 
people have their power rankings out for Major League Baseball, and they're allowed to have their power rankings and their opinions, but sometimes power rankings and opinions kind of get frustrating for us, and Jim Bowden has his latest power rankings out, and to the surprise of nobody, he's got the Braves and the Dodgers as his top two most powerful teams in all of baseball. He's got the Orioles, who won 102 games last year as number three, but then you have to scroll down a ways to find the National League Central. Uh, He's got the... uh, Seattle Mariners at number 10. No central teams in his top 10. Twins at 11. The Reds are his top NL central team in 12th place. Then he's got the Cubs, Jim Bowden does, at 14. Then you have to scroll down to 18 to find the Brewers. And then you find the Cardinals at number 20. And then you have to go way down to find the Pittsburgh Pirates at number 24. What Jim Bowden writes about the Cardinals at number 20, and oh, by the way, number 4 in the NL central is... Quote, the Cardinals prioritized adding three starting pitchers and a reliever in free agency, and although they landed all four, is it enough to get them back to the playoffs? The best move they made was signing Sonny Gray, 34, on a three-year, $75 million deal to lead the rotation. They also signed two 36-year-old starters, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn, and both look like they're in decline. Gray, Gibson, and Lynn joined Miles Michaelis, 35, and Steven Matz, 32, to form the oldest rotation in the sport, and it's fair to question how it will perform overall this season. In the bullpen, Keenan Middleton signed for $6 million as the team made a slew of smaller transactions for relievers. The Cardinal position player group is led by Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. I don't see this rotation carrying the Cardinals to the postseason is what Jim Bowden says. I, I really like that in this article if you just scroll through, you'll notice that the St. Louis Cardinals are really the only ones where he highlighted the age of every single player. But he's not going to be the only one that does this this entire season. We mentioned it yesterday. The starting rotation age is going to be brought up probably about a million times. going to be put in a million different graphics, especially when the games are on ESPN. And it seems like that's his big reason why. And it is a fair question that we have even asked is, do we see this rotation carrying the Cardinals into the postseason? I think the fair question would be, are you going to get there with these guys first? I, I think him bringing up age is legitimate. I mean, you have to look at it and say it is an older rotation. Can they hold up over 162? And I think out of the seven oldest players in baseball, or at least in the National League, the Cardinals have two of them. And generally speaking, in your even like 32 age on, you don't normally get better. I know you brought that up with Sonny Gray. And, and now I think. He used to, by the way. Randy Johnson got better at 38. And he was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And guys that took steroids in the steroid era got a lot better. That's why they were signing like seven year deals when they were 33. <laughs> and they thought, well, at age 40, you know, instead of 40 home runs, you might have 25. Yeah. But that those days are, are have come and gone. So play it out, see what happens. But I, I can understand where he questions the age of the rotation. I think it's legitimate. Yeah, it, it's fair. And I think it would be unfair to Gray, Michaelis, uh, Lynn Gibson to expect them to replicate what they did last year. Sonny Gray had a career year last year at the age of 33. Michaelis, they're all getting up there in years, and it's hard to sustain excellence or even quality when you continue to advance, regardless of what you're doing. If you're playing a physical sport, it's really hard. Now, the Cardinals do have a group. We know that Gibson works hard. We know that Lynn 
is what he is. Fat Lance is better than Skinny Lance anyway, right? <laughs> uh, we know that Sonny Gray works really hard. <laughs> but the the Lance Lynn, he eats a hot dog. That's not. I'm not casting aspersions on Lance Lynn. I love him. I, he's, <laughs> but, but remember, his worst year was the, after the yeah. offseason where he was running the steps at Bush Stadium with Chris Carpenter. Yeah, he was very thin and yeah. did not have a better <laughs> no, year no. than he did the year before. <laughs> no, he did it's not. One of those anomalies. Yeah, so that's my point here. So he he's probably the guy that's most likely to stay healthy. But the other thing that the Cardinals... Uh, that it's reasonable to question. They were 19th last year in runs scored in Major League Baseball. Is Nolan Gorman going to be healthy? I think that Jordan Walker is going to ascend and be really good. I'm not sure about that. Is Tommy Edmond going to be better offensively than he was? Is Lars Newtbar going to be able to stay healthy? Are Arenado and Goldschmidt truly in decline, like they showed last year from the previous year, or are they going to be able to bounce back to a championship level? Is Mason Wynn going to be able to be solid offensively? Is uh, Brendan? I just listed the whole damn starting lineup. Is Brendan <laughs> not going to be healthy aside from Contreras? Yeah, right. It's is is there's a lot of ifs with the starting lineup with with the starting nine, and every team's got them right now. Yep, they do. Yep, I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I'm with you. I I guess the way you have to look at it right now is that Lynn and Kyle Gibson are going to give you innings. And that's something that they did not have last year. So you got to have some innings. And the other thing is you better load up your bullpen because if yeah. these guys only go a couple of times through the lineup, you have to have a deeper bullpen. That bullpen at times was awful last year. So if your bullpen's better, that's maybe looking at it at a different way. Look at it the back end as opposed to the front end to see how you win some of these games. I will never criticize a team for going out and getting innings eaters. I'm, I'm too old school. I'm too set in my ways for that. And I go back to what my, I watched when I was – uh, being introduced to real real quality baseball with Whitey Herzog. And when, when the, he had those teams, even the, the kids, Stuper and Lapointe in 1982, were giving innings in addition to uh, people like Steve Mura and, of course, Andujar at the top of the rotation. Then in 85, man, you look at that 85 team, Tudor had 275 innings. Andujar was well over 200 innings. Uh, you, you had Kurt Kepshire throw in innings. Danny Cox threw well over 200 innings and had 18 wins. It's a different game now, but you've got some old school guys here that are wanting to give you innings. And what you have to do is if you're Ali Marmol, you have to open your mind to those guys being able to handle adversity. I understand that baseball now thinks that pitchers can't handle adversity. Give them a chance to try handling adversity a little bit. Adversity, and then also we saw early last season, the starting rotation just really blew up in a lot of situations mm-hmm. where you did have to go to your bullpen a little bit earlier than I'm sure Ali Marmol would have liked. Now, going back to these preseason rankings, though, are you guys surprised that the Cubs and the Brewers are ahead of the Cardinals in this situation? Are we just too much in our Cardinals bubble, or are you surprised that they're ahead in his preseason rankings. I'm shocked that they are. Are you? Yeah, because I don't. I think the Cardinals. They don't have a top of the rotation guy like Justin Steele, but their depth in the starting rotation is much better. I think the Cardinal bullpen is better than Chicago's, and I think without Bellinger, I think the Cardinal lineup is better than Chicago's. I don't know what he's seeing uh, aside from Craig Council, who does make players better than they really are in many, and, and has the ability to build to kind of make a bullpen. Uh, Council might be a, a difference maker in his mind. That's all I can figure. I don't I don't get I mean 40 million dollars for your manager and you don't give him the, you don't the give tools. tools. Yeah. It doesn't make it's any crazy. sense. Yeah. No, and and then the other thing guys is Milwaukee just got rid of Corbin Burns. What part of the Brewers? And this I guess Devin Williams at the back of the bullpen. Yes. 
is is better than what the Cardinals have at the back of the bullpen. But I like the Cardinal lineup better than I like Milwaukee's lineup. I, I like the Cardinals' depth of the rotation better than I like theirs. Peralta's good, but Peralta and Sonny Gray are kind of like a coin flip for me. Half dozen of, six of one, half dozen of the other. I don't know why he thinks the Brewers are better than the Cardinals. I like the Reds. I like Hunter Green, more seasoning. Graham Ashcraft, Ashcraft is really good. Frankie Montas, mm-hmm. they yep. picked up Nick Martinez. They're, they made some sneaky moves yep. that I think could pay off for them. And they've got a guy in David Bell who kind of does the Cardinal way. He was here on a, a couple bit. of different occasions, and they'll they'll play good fundamental baseball, and they have an electrifying presence in De La Cruz. I was going to say, I'm excited to see what De La Cruz, not exactly excited, I guess I should say, but you like to see a young player like that with the energy that he was able to show and the passion. That's always exciting to watch. I guess on the Cubs front, I'm a little surprised because I still think they have a big question mark. Guys, they're still missing a big bat, yeah. and that's Cody Bellinger. Right, and they didn't get Reese Hoskins. Uh, how did they... Now, maybe they're after Chapman or Bellinger and they're just waiting for Boris to cave, which he doesn't do very often. But they they have plenty of spots to plug a bat in. I'm a little bit well, – I'm a lot surprised too because on the day that the Cardinals signed Sonny Gray, I, I, said, I sat here and said, the Cubs are laughing. I thought the Cubs would do stuff after they signed yeah. Council. So the Cardinal bullpen last year had 41 leads lost. They blew 28 saves. Yeah. If you just save half those games, your feelings on last year's team are completely different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, that's why I look at their restructuring of the bullpen, which has been dismantled, and then some of the guys coming back that you expect to have bounce back years, Gallegos, Helsley, here we go with the what-if game. But that's where I look at it. I, and I know a lot of the focus is put on the age of the rotation, rightfully so. But if these guys can give you some innings and get you to the bullpen and a chance to win with a revamped bullpen, I think that's where you have to look at it to where the Cardinals would have some more success this year. And the other question I have, and I don't think this is unfair, is with the addition of Dean Keefer, can he and Blake Lively fix the pitchers that failed last year? Dave Duncan had the ability to fix pitchers. To an extent... The other Cardinal pitching coaches, Mike Maddox, even Derek Lilliquist, had the ability to fix people. I'm not so sure that the Cardinals staff now, because I just haven't seen it, is capable of fixing major league pitchers. And Dean Kiekeffer is a guy that would be a conduit between Dusty Blake and the player. He played, albeit not that much, but able to take all this information, all the analytics, and just dumb it down. Simplify Mm -hmm. it and see if that helps. Well, don't you think that's also another reason why they've added and they have that veteran presence? Because they kind of pointed to that, is that they also want guys to be able to lean on each other. And you've heard these comments from Sonny Gray where he wants guys to come and ask him questions, and he wants to be able to do the same for others. He was a key reason that they promoted Kiekeffer. And I went to a Cardinal pitcher last year early in the season, Brooke, when you were talking about the starters blowing up. And I said, what, what are your meetings like? What's the game plan like? And I was told, we really don't have a, a game plan. It's, uh, it's all about our stuff. And that's great, but there really wasn't a, a real detailed plan for pitchers heading into games. And that's kind of where I'm going. You get the analytic yeah. look at baseball, and that's your stuff. Yeah. you know. But then how does that translate into what a game plan is when you have – Everything on the line between the white lines. Yeah. That is a look at Jim Bowden's piece at The Athletic, and you can subscribe to The Athletic and read all the great work of Katie Wu and Jeremy Rutherford and everybody they have at The Athletic. Coming up next, we're going to talk some golf with our buddy Jay Delsing. Golf with Jay Delsing coming up Sunday with Danny. And we'll talk to Jay about the return of Tiger Woods and more next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. 
Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills, so celebrate summer with a new Big Green Egg, Weber Gas, or Charcoal Grill, and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brooke Crimsley, Danny Mac, Randy Carricker, and our buddy Jay Delsing. He brings you golf with Jay Delsing every Sunday morning, 8 to 10 here on 101 ESPN. Jay, good morning. How are you doing? Have you ever been to the Field Museum in Chicago? Oh, years ago. Years ago, Randy. Good morning. Yes, I have been. Okay, good. I just wanted to know. It's interesting. We walk through the doors at that field museum, and they've got a giant likeness of the new Tiger Woods logo. Do they really? It, the Tiger Woods logo looks like something you'd see in a museum yeah, of, a, of an old dinosaur. I like a dinosaur it, skeleton. No, no, I like it. It's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's kind of, I think they were going for, for almost shocking with this thing, guys, with the placement of the logo and the... You know, the words kind of separated. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I was just really glad to have Tiger back. And then, I, you know, watching him finish was shocking. And, you know, it reminded me of Brady, Tom Brady's T-shirt. Randy, I know how much you love Brady and the okay. Patriots. But the uh, Brady's T-shirt had to make you smile up at uh, Pebble Beach when he didn't hit it out of his living room. Which was right. really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so I, I, I was watching yesterday, and like you, I was dismayed by uh, what he was dealing with down the stretch with those spasms. How long do you think he's been dealing with those? Man, I don't know. It, the it, show. It, Maybe it, about a week back? Yeah, he's got, it could be a week back. Yeah. Oh, man, that's brutal. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Um, when, when stuff like that happens, all of a sudden you start feeling things that, you know, might not really be there, might not really be as bad. If he would have, he just went, I, I don't know, he just went and hit his five wood 270 yards on the hole before. And I, I don't I don't know, man. He's the best player that I've ever seen, you, you know, in this, especially this generation. And so you give him the benefit of the doubt. But, man, you just, you just hit a shank. There's really not much you can say other than, you know, golf is really hard. Yeah, and by the way, he tees off today at one fifty-four St. Louis time, and you'll be able to watch uh, Tiger Woods play. Well, I yeah, was which gonna, is a good thing, right? It there. is. It is a really good thing. I did want to ask you. I know that we were kind of joking about it, but I actually like the Sunday Red. What are you thinking overall of the brand and just seeing that out there? 
Oh, man. You know, I think it's going to take a little getting used to. I, I like it, too, uh, Brooke. I like the fact that it's a little disruptive. I like the fact the logo placement's different. It's weird. But I wouldn't expect a whole lot else. I got a kick out of, the, you know, when Tiger plays, there's so much more media at events. That his, his, he has press conferences. Nobody has press conferences, really, on, on the PGA Tour except Tiger. And they asked him about the TW, you know, the old logo, because everybody – and, and golfers, especially Tiger, you know, want to move on quickly to the next thing. And he's like, I don't care about it at all. I, I don't, you know, he doesn't even think about it. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's kind of the way that we were taught, you guys, is to just try to move on quickly because there's, I mean, look at the way Rory finished down the stretch yesterday with double bogey, triple bogey, went from, you know, the top first page of the leaderboard fell 49 spots or something like that and you still have to finish around and, and it, it makes it really difficult so he had seven pars jay and six bogeys but the thing that i noticed with him and it's no surprise to me his short game you, you have to have reps as you well know and his putting several putts within 10 feet he missed and if he also you know could just tighten that up a little bit you, you figure that he's maybe one two three under and that's I mean, how, how, how do you argue with that? I mean, that's something that is so hard to do when you haven't played. And for him to come out and maybe shoot a two-under, it's just impressive. Yeah, no question, Danny. I mean, you think about where he went wrong, and it's the spots that he has been able to get out and do. He has been able to pitch. He has been able – I mean, to watch him, he gets the ball up and down. On, not that I watched every single shot, but I did. He, <laughs> he gets the ball up and down on number one. For birdie, then he he hits a great drive on number two, which is not. I mean, guys, he hit his driver remarkably straight for Tiger. You got to remember, in the last twenty five years on the PGA Tour, the the the, the best two players, drove, Phil and Tiger, drove the ball everywhere, and he drove it really, really well. And so on on number two and on number three, he hits good drives and has short irons into both greens and misses both greens. And guys, he was. 0 for 4 from the bunkers, from greenside bunkers. And he's, you know, that's just not what you're used to seeing. And that's, I would have expected Tiger to be really off on the greens because there, there's a lot going on. Your heart's racing. You haven't had that feeling. There's no way to duplicate that feeling in all of your practice. But you can definitely get in the sand traps. You can definitely get in to some of those situations. Tiger holds a lot of putts. He missed a lot, but he... You know, he holds some really good putts um, uh, for birdies. So it was weird to see him so, so having a lot of offense, making four birdies, but not much defense. You know, not being able to save pars, is, it's kind of one of his trademark things. So we'll see how he goes today. Jay, you mentioned how the crowds are, are following Tiger Woods, and I think it tells you a couple things, that people love to see him play. That's That's clear. But also – the way that they reacted, that the bar has been set a little lower for expectations of fans, and it probably needs to be that way, but everything he did, they're going nuts with, even some of the bad shots. So it just tells you he's still moving the needle. Oh, yeah. It's like Roger Malpe said, he is the needle. You know, there's the, he, he's, he's more than that. I don't know what how to describe that, but he he's just everything. It's, it's weird to see him age, too, guys. I, I, mm-hmm. The biggest thing I was looking at was – was how well he was moving. And and I thought he moved really, really well. I would love to see him maybe add a few more tournaments other than once a month because no matter how well you play, 
you, you, or you, you've got to play this game more than that to try to get a feel for what's going on. It's just, it, it, it just golf owns you. I mean, it, it just really does. Even the great Tiger Woods. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see him, um, uh, how he plays and, and finishes today. And guys, I don't know if you've followed Gary Woodland or not, but Gary's a great story because he's he's a Kansas guy. He's a great Midwesterner, and he he's had brain surgery. He, he they found he, he was having some weird seizures and stuff at the end of last year, and he um, had this weird brain surgery in November. And he's on this road back, and he talked really frankly about how difficult it is when you haven't been able. To compete, I mean, these guys out there. Even though we've got live and we're missing a lot of really, really great players, they're these these young guys that no one's heard about. Guys will 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 definitely they're good, and they'll definitely get a chance, and they're definitely take the opportunity to, you know, for us to learn who they are. But when you're someone like Gary Woodland, you've won the U.S. Open, you've won three or four tournaments in the PGA Tour, you have all these doubts in your mind. Like, am I ever going to be able to play as well as I could before? And so to to try to get back and to try to do what he's doing, I mean, it's interesting to compare Gary to Tiger a little bit and, and how difficult it is coming off of this stuff. Jay, by the time we got to Riviera last year, there was no doubt that John Rahm was the best player on the tour. He Through Hawaii and California, he was absolutely dominant. He's gone to live now. Other names have gone to live now. I'll ask you, because I can't answer this question. Who's the best guy out there right now on the PGA Tour? Scotty Scheffler. Okay. Uh, and he is absolutely he is absolutely fighting his putter like I think he shot three under par, you guys, and he putted oh my gosh. He 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 missed so many putts inside of ten feet. His ball striking so Tiger Woods has had epic runs as as a ball striker in the PGA tour. Epic that, that we that we thought would never even be seen again. And Scotty Scheffler's last year, Randy, are so close to to uh, mimicking what Tiger did. And so if you think about that, Scotty's got this weirdest leg action, and it just he swings, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> they can't be good. And you look up, and the thing goes inside of, you know, 15 feet almost every time. So he, he's got a huge compete level. He's not exciting like Tiger, and he's not he's not as explosive as someone like John Rahm. But man, he is super super steady. He's a great kid. He's only about twenty six years old, and he's really really good. Jay, who do you have on the show? Who do you and Dan have on the show on Sunday morning? So we've got our friend uh, Brad Henderson from SSM uh, uh, Health and uh, Physical Therapy, who's helped me rehab my knee and and, and helping golfers get from the couch to the course. Um, we've got Dana and Gary DeSalvo. They've got this really cool company called Popticals, which are these sunglasses with great lenses that kind of fold up and go right into your pocket. It's pretty cool. And then we've got Uncle Charlie, Adam Wainwright on the oh, show. Nice. So instant, instant offense. So it's a, it's a, a good show this week. Guys. Love it. Looking forward to it. 8 to 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Jay, it's always great to have you with us. Thank you very much and have a great weekend. You guys, too. Thank you. Thank you. Jay Delsing with us on 101 ESPN. By the way, one other note, and we didn't have time to get to it, but I'll just tell you that uh, Tory, uh, Rory McIlroy got to number 12 yesterday at three under. Then he goes bogey, par, par, double bogey, triple bogey, 
birdie bogey to close out. Finishes mm. with a 74, dropped 54 spots Ouch. In, the, in the yeah in, in the standings. Did you guys watch Tiger much yesterday? I was able to catch some of it just because when anytime he's on, I feel like you just have to watch. Me too. And we get a, a text, and it's right. He looks old. It's you, I just never thought that Tiger would look old, but he looks old. I, I think part of that too is that you don't see him. A lot. Like you haven't, yeah. and I mean playing. You may see him in press conferences, but you don't see him playing as much, and it's once a month. I think it's going to be really hard if he's not playing more than once a month to get and dial in everything that you need to have to compete at the highest level. Yeah. I, he still can drive the ball. He still can hit it a ton. But if you're not practicing and playing as much on your short game, it's just it's just tough to compete on that level. Yep. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. I gave you the week back earlier, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. I'm putting Yoho off till next week, All although right. I just did say Yoho. Yo-ho. Oh, it Thank counts. You, brother. Uh, Take It or Leave It is coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Get your text in now. 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. Okay, kids, take it or leave it. Later on, we're going to hear Ali Marmol talk about how he has high expectations for Nolan Gorman this year. Take it or leave it. Gorman, who had 27 home runs in 119 games last year, hits 40 this year. I'm going to leave that. I don't think 40. I don't think, I don't know if he's going to play enough to get 40. I think they're going to be very cautious with his back to make sure that he stays in. I'm going to have to leave it. I I would like for that to happen, but I just think for the reasons that you pointed out, Danny Mac, that, that doesn't, that's not going to happen this year. That disappoints me. Does it? I want him to hit 40, and I think he will. You think okay. he got 40 this year, I'm gonna, huh? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right to the number 40, yeah. I want to. Be a hell of a year if he did that. Yeah, (laughs) it it, it would be great. Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna say yes. There you go. All right. Well, take it or leave it, guys. We saw that Rob Manfred held a little bit of a State of the Union yesterday, where he addressed a lot of different things, including pushing a free agency deadline. He basically said that he thinks it'll be a good thing. Now, Scott Boris responded saying, deadlines are death lines to the players. It's a death of their right. It's an artificial reason not to get your value. But take it or leave it, you actually kind of agree with Rob Manfred. I, I agree. I think it'd be good for the sport because if you put a timeline on it, there'd be more attention in the uh, offseason to, to what you have to do create more buzz the craziness of free agency i think Mm -hmm. fans would enjoy that i do too and it doesn't matter if there's a deadline teams have their money and the the players are going to get their contracts whatever the deadline might be scott boris has this artificial deadline he thinks that there's going to be a level of desperation I don't think Scott Boris has come to the conclusion yet, reached the conclusion the teams have budgets. And it's a different sport now than the one that he was agenting in back in the 1990s and 2000s. And if there is a deadline, teams are going to come up with the money to sign his players. It's not a death line. 
Yeah. Yeah. That line's a little strong. It's yeah, a little it's, dramatic. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to die when they get $120 million rather than $140 million. Exactly. I I, I, yeah. Well, you would also have, if you, if you set the deadline... I think it could help the players, too, because yeah. then you'd have everybody bidding against each other, and you'd get to the point that you think you're supposed to get anyway. He's, uh, He and the baseball players' union are crazy, They're and they just don't pay attention. Almost every quarterback that signs a contract in the NFL makes more than the highest-paid baseball player. I think it just makes a lot of sense. It, it Why not just have that deadline? Because it only benefits, like you guys are saying, I believe the players. It makes it more interesting. It felt like this offseason has just been so stagnant, even though you had yeah. Shohei Otani moving, you had Yamamoto, because it just took so long to get to the point. Agreed. And we're still waiting around for some of the others. It's also why you have number like 4 p.m. Eastern time on yeah. said date for a trade deadline yeah. in sports. It pushes you to make a decision. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Okay, a made-for-TV event. I've come up with this. Take it or leave it. This would be the highest-rated basketball event this season. I'm going to put in games, too. Three-point competition with Caitlin Clark, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, and John Sunvold. So I did a little local flavor there at the I like end. That. Yeah. <laughs> that would be made for TV. That would be fantastic. That would be fun, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, and those I guys, would, yeah. yeah. Everybody could play and shoot at a high level still. You're, I'm sure that if you give Jordan and Bird and Allen some time, they'll be fine shooting three-pointers. I was doing a game for Missouri many years ago, and my partner was John Sunvold, and he was in a suit, took off his coat, went to the free throw line, and dropped 20 of 20. <laughs> Without even, st- not, no warm-up, just drop 2020. I, I would take it. I think that would be great to see. And also more promotion for K- Caitlin Clark to see what she looks like. Because that's the conversation, right? It's like, what does she look like against some of the other greats out there? Yeah. All right, Matthew, what do you got on the text line? Do not ask Cheryl Swoops that question. <laughs> because you'll, okay. not, you'll get an answer you do not like. She's beefing with Caitlin Clark Oh, did right you have now. Reggie Miller in there? I did. We should have Reggie and Cheryl Miller. I had the Clark, Thompson, Curry, Bird, Jordan, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, John Sunvold. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be fun. Yeah, Cheryl Swoop said she's not going to walk into the WNBA and dominate, and people got angry about that. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Neighbors scores 30 this season since he's about to destroy the leave it that Randy predicted for 20. Leave it. <laughs> I'm going to leave it. Even though a three-point night last night... It'd be a lot of goals in a short amount of time. But still, I mean, the fact that he's been able to do this this season is impressive in itself. I know it's not done yet, but yeah, I'm going to have to leave it because I don't think he'll reach 30. And actually, I think he was the one that left 20. <laughs> he said he would have never dreamed that he's, he could score 20 this he year. He was the guy that <laughs> said yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, take it or leave it. Five 20 home run hitters for the Cardinals. Well, Gorman's hitting 40. <laughs> Ding. Yeah. So you got Walker, Arenado, ding, Goldie, ding, ding. Uh, Contreras. Yeah. Are we missing? So what about Walker? Yeah, he just we mentioned. Oh, you Walker. mentioned Walker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what about could Donnie also do that? Donnie. I don't have Donnie hitting Newt. twenty. Newt. Oh. I don't have Newt hitting twenty. I don't either. Not Edmund. No. Oh. Yeah, I, I think the five we have are pretty solid. I, I, I would think that that's probably the limit. I think a legitimate would be four. You might be pushing it with five. Well. Goldie, Arenado, I think Walker and Contreras could be close to 20, if not above 20, and then Gorman, Gorman at 20. 27 last year. Yeah. There's no respect for Alec Burleson. None. He's just not going to play enough. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, take your lead with this Blues team is giving off similar energy to 2019. I'm starting to get excited. Uh, yeah, well, uh, oh, for no. you, I have to take it. 
Randy. <laughs> yeah. But let's, uh, we, we were in the midst of an 11-game winning streak five years ago today. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that had just a different feel when they go into Tampa and win that game when Shen had the bouncing overtime goal. And uh, they were doing magical things by this time in 2019. I will take it just for Jordan Bennington specifically because 2019, Jordan Bennington is very similar to now. Not saying that he hasn't been doing that throughout his career since then, but doesn't this feel like Jordan Bennington Stanley Cup form once again? I, I was thinking, like, if I'm the Edmonton Oilers, I'm like, man, why didn't we pull the trigger earlier to try to get this guy mm-hmm. when their yeah. goaltending was flopping? And obviously they played well 18-2 and two in their last 20 prior to last night, but Bennington was awesome. And he was one of the reasons why they won that game last night, if not the main reason, because of what he did in the first period. Give you Hofer for a first. Take it or leave it. If Moselock uh, is the next commissioner of Major League Baseball, oh, leave, leave it. it. Is there a more obvious successor for anybody in the history of the world than Theo Epstein for Rob yeah. Manfred? That's the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Theo Epstein was the mastermind in many ways behind the rules changes, mm-hmm. which has been. I think received in a very positive manner, and he seems to be the guy for sure. And he'll be 55 when Manfred retires. Oh, yeah. So. You don't want the headache of running a team, but still can make a ton of money by having a huge voice in the game. Yeah, that's the guy. And right now, he's actually in ownership with the Red Sox, so he's he already knows all the owners. He already has worked for the commissioner's office. He's got the perfect resume to take over. Oh, absolutely. I I don't. Uh... I don't think I'd want that job. No. Oh, I wouldn't either. You're at the behest of the owners, and you take all the crap. Yeah. Right. It's like Roger Goodell. Same thing. I mean, he's paid to just take a bunch of you know crap yeah. from people. How much does Manfred get paid? Uh, I think he's around twenty or twenty-five million a year. Pocket change compared yeah. to pocket change compared to Goodell. Goodell is around fifty-five to sixty, I believe. <laughs> but would you yeah, take it for that? Right. Just knowing that, okay, whatever. Yes. I'm yeah, gonna be I hated. Think you're right, Brooke. Yeah. I, I can take it for twenty-five million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Take some heat. I'd be like, yeah. okay, I'll go cry on a, yeah. on a private jet or something. By yeah. the way, five years ago tonight, the Blues won their ninth in a row, 3 nothing over Colorado, the ninth of 11 consecutive victories. You don't uh, see it happening, huh, Randy? No. No, I don't either. $60 million to get yelled at? Oh, no, I'd take no, that no I'm talking about the Blues winning 11 straight. No, I'm just going back I would to love that. for that to happen, of take, course. Oh, here we go. Another take it or leave it for the Blues. Take it or leave it. If the Blues play like they did in that second period, they can win multiple playoff series. Yes, I would say, though, that every single team in the league has had a period where if they play every game like they did that one yeah. period, they could win the Stanley Cup. Even the Sharks and Blackhawks, if they have... They've got one period on the season where if they play like that all the time, they would win multiple playoffs. Even series. the Blue Jackets? Everybody. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. Everybody's yeah. had a great yeah. period at some yeah. point this year. Yeah. And if you could duplicate it for three every night, you'd probably have a chance to yeah. go pretty far. Yeah. But maybe they're also speaking to the adjustments that they were able to make from the first to second period as something that you know is important for the playoffs. Well, and, and, and they're capable, but the thing is everybody's capable. Unfortunately, it's uh, we, we aren't any better than anybody else. I can see, though, the Blues, my cap on my expectations this year would be, first of all, get into the playoffs. But I think they can win a first-round series. I do. Oh, I, yeah. And then the yeah. second round, I think, would be a bonus. Binner. You've got uh, you've got Binner, so there's absolutely no doubt. He can steal a series for you. He could. Yep. That is Tioli. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Texas. We appreciate it. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN, which franchise in Major League Baseball is the model franchise? It's coming your way with Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's Fresh Take.
105 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Uh, 101 ESPN second alert weather. There's nothing happening right now, even though the meteorologists say it's supposed to be happening right now. But just know that you got to go get all of your stuff for French toast now. Oh. Milk, eggs, and bread. What is something else that you have to get? Ribeye. <laughs> is that a snow food essential? On the day that the world <laughs> shut down, I was by, I was instructed to go get all the necessities, yeah. and I bought ribeyes <laughs> <laughs> for when we shut down for COVID. That's what I bought. Uh, we've got an early fight today because Robert Thomas is going to join us at eight thirty. Just no respect for the fight at all from him. So the fight comes your way at eight fifteen today. So you can text in now if you'd like to participate in the fight. Three one four three nine 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 six four six three one four three nine nine. Yo ho! With your name and the word fight, and maybe at eight fifteen you will fight me. Uh, all right. We have spring training underway, and we were talking about this yesterday in the office after the show. The the Cardinals used to be the model franchise in Major League Baseball, and I'll never forget standing down in the visitor's dugout, and the new ownership of the Dodgers had taken over, and I think this was 2013, and big media scrum with Stan Kasten, who is still the uh, president of the Dodgers and was the president of the Braves when they were in their heyday. And somebody asked him, one of the L.A. writers, hey, what would you like this franchise to be? What, what's your ultimate goal here? Because they had traded for a bunch of high-priced price guys. You remember, Dan, they had traded for Carl Crawford and Adrian Gonzalez. And, uh, but that wasn't what they wanted to be. And he pointed across the diamond into the Cardinal dugout, and he said, that's the model over there. That's what we want to become. And I believe now the Cardinals have been passed up as the model franchise. And when, when I look around now, if I look at a model for the Cardinals, for me, it's the Atlanta Braves because they have not had to go out and spend a ton of money, a billion dollars in free agency, which the Cardinals are incapable of doing. What they've done is develop their own players, which the Cardinals like to do, and then they've supplemented with players from the outside. And they effectively replaced Eddie Freeman by trading for Matt Olson. But... They, they've done a really good job, in my opinion, of developing when you look at Acuna, when you look at Michael Harris II, when you look at Austin Riley, when you look at Albies, when, when you look at uh, the, their pitching like Freed and Strider. And then they've added to those guys with a pitcher like Charlie Morton, or you go get an Olsen, or last year you trade for Sean Murphy. And then they've signed their young players to long-term contracts, which gives you cost certainty. For me, that is the model. I agree with you. I think that they are now... I will say, though, that I still believe that the model franchise that a lot of people are doing that they're trying to copy and emulate is going to be the Dodgers. Now, I understand that the Dodgers are in a league of their own when it comes to spending. So outside of the spending, which I'm sure a lot of other teams would like to be able to do, they are consistently, typically in the top of the league when it comes to having one of the best farm systems, also how successful they are in the draft and how they also utilize the international market, their continued success and their way that they are also able to develop their players, I think is another thing that really stands out. Eric Kratz, you know, a former catcher, he pointed out last year specifically the way the players are treated and taught like big leaguers, regardless of their skill level, they provide a lot of cutting edge and top tier development tools for to all the players, despite their talent spectrum and skill level, which may not always pay off, but I think it might spark something unforeseen in one of those forgotten athletes. And if it does, it will be worth it in the long run. So I think it's all the tools that they have and the way that they are able to develop players and really pick out those players early on. I, I think with the Dodgers, the one thing that stands out to me is a 
$8.35 billion, $8 billion TV deal. So that takes mm-hmm. them into a different stratosphere. Guggenheim owns it. They're, they have managed, what, more than $300 billion in assets. So they can do a lot of things that other teams can't. However, to your point, Brooke, the innovation of what they did with Shohei Otani. For instance, mm-hmm. Manny Ramirez is going to make more money this year than Shohei Otani. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. And so they were creative with that. Yes, it's $700 million, but they're going to get a lot of that money back because of what they can do to sell him internationally. I'm with Randy. To me, the model team right now, as we speak, is the Braves. And the Braves took a lot of heat when they moved from Turner Field to go to Truist Park. And with Truist Park, they built around that the surrounding area called the Battery. And they make a lot of money outside of baseball just with that, like the Cardinals are doing at Ballpark Village. That's a model of what you want to do to have supplemental income come in. Now, what did they do with the the on-the-field product? Randy, you mentioned a bunch of these guys. Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Michael Harris Jr. locked him up early, did that with Acuna, which now looks like a steal. Mm Ozzie Albies, I mean, they did it right. And they, they should be very highly competitive for many years to come. I'm surprised that no one has brought this up yet, but Tampa Bay mm-hmm. doing the most with little. And, you know, a lot of teams are trying to take that model. They have more money, but use the model of what Tampa Bay has done, diving into analytics, getting rid of players that may be on the downside that they see where others don't. I mean, they're able to look at nuances in the game and take advantage of a lot of teams and look at their own teams, manipulate it to the point of winning games and doing it in the American League East of all places. <laughs> That's tough to do. And that essentially is the Tampa Bay model, is the Dodgers model. That's Andrew, my point. Andrew with Friedman. money. Yeah, with money. And, and that's why Heim Bloom was the pobo for Boston. He sub- subsequently was let go. But that's what the the Giants are doing with Farhan Zaidi, who was a disciple of Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers. Teams are, are actually doing it now with money. The reason that I don't put, and I agree with you about Tampa being a model, and I think the Cardinals ultimately will emulate that model, whether it's with Heim Bloom or somebody else. I think that's what they want to do. But the only reason, reason I, and I know this is terrible because it's only two games. Uh, they, they lost game six of the World Series against the Dodgers rather than won it. And for me, the model would include winning championships. Sure. And that's fair. And Houston would be a model on they how to are, build a yeah. team. That's that's another one. If you're talking about winning and championships, certainly. Isn't it interesting? We haven't said the Yankees. We haven't yeah. said the Mets. Yeah. We haven't said the Cubs. Haven't said the Angels with these big market franchises. Padres, Padres another one. You know, it's, it's do you have the money, too? And how do you manipulate the area around the ballpark to help with everything that you do from a business side? And I, I think that's part of the equation when you think about a model franchise. And I know that the Dodgers, going back to that, of just the fact that they spend a lot of money and they are in their own league and tier currently. But I think also the way they u- utilize their other tools makes them stand out. It's something that other teams are looking to. From the 3 and 4 though, the new model franchise is the Baltimore Orioles. I have this in my notes because I think they're going to be an interesting team to watch. They had 101 wins last year. You have new ownership coming in. They can have the best farm system in baseball once again. I think that's going to be an organization that will be interesting to watch to see how it looks like with this new ownership. It looks like they're going to be able to flourish, and they need the new ownership because John Angelus, their previous owner, said, we won't be able to pay our players. Do they pick the right players 
to move forward because you are you're going to have a bunch of superstars. You aren't going to be able to keep them all. Are they going to be able to keep the right ones? And are they going to be able to win playoff series? And they've said they're going to go out and spend the money. Mm -hmm. And so spending the money would mean keeping those that you developed. Like, do you go this spring and try to lock up Jackson Holiday? Mm -hmm. By all accounts, he's the best player in the minor leagues, number one ranked prospect. You're expecting him to probably break camp with them and be their everyday shortstop or second Mm -hmm. baseman. Is it in your best interest, part of the model, to try to lock up guys when you can to be cost-effective with that player? And will we learn a lot about the Orioles with what they do with Corbin Burns? That's another one. That's right. That's a great question. Yeah, they go out and they they use some of their capital to get him. Now do they sign him to keep him around? But they, you, you talk about Jackson Holiday. They've got Rutschman. They've got Mullins. They've got Gunnar Henderson. They are loaded with young players. And that's why I talk about yeah, they have to choose the right ones. Yep. Yep. And lock them up. And yeah. when you get them, they got to be the right ones and lock them up. But I think with them, though, having the new ownership group, to your point, Brooke, they have said they're going to go spend money and they will have the controlling interest of this team uh, to allow themselves to make the final decision on these players. So while there is a, a fraction in the ownership group in terms of percentage, they apparently will have the, the last say in what they want to do with players. And oh, by the way, the people that are running their baseball operations, Michael Elias and Sigma Dahl from the Cardinals, from yep. the, the Cardinal tree. They left with Jeff Luno to go to Houston and subsequently were hired by Baltimore to run baseball operations over there. Is Jackson Holiday represented by Scott Boris? Because Matt had him for all those years. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. For that reason, I don't know if he would, if the Orioles approached him to go ahead and sign him now this early on. Kind of like the Brewers did with, it was uh, Jackson Trio. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be a great idea, but would he actually take that deal? Because you never know the full potential of what he'll be able to do. Didn't Boris turn down $445 million for Soto? Correct. Yep. So uh, that would be a, a really good question. If he's offered $400 million over 10 years, do they take it? He, he could say, Jackson, here's the deal. We think you're going to be a star. Give it two or three years and watch what I can do. Mm-hmm. Watch how much many, yeah. money I can bring into you and your family. Pretty amazing. That is today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we do have the fight. Stick around. It's coming your way early here on the Opening Drive. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome back to the Opening Drive. Brooke here alongside Danny Mack and Randy. And it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Tim. Tim, how are you doing this morning? Good. How about you? Doing good. Is this your first time facing Randy in the fight? It is. Are you nervous? Excited? Scared? Uh, uh, excited. Let's go with that. Okay. Excited. Dan, any words of encouragement? Uh, just go get him, man. You know, <laughs> lay it all on the line. Give 110. Put your best effort out there. Yeah, let's see what I can do. All right. Let's do it. Give 100%. I like the coach speak there, Dan. You bet. All cliches. (laughs) All right. Question number one, Tim. Which American man has the most Grand Slam titles with 14? Is it John McEnroe, Andre Agassi, or Pete Sampras? Pete Sampras. Question two. Which Rams rookie of the year running back has the record for the most rushing yards in his rookie season? Is it Eric Dickerson, Todd Gurley, or Jerome Bettis? Uh, Eric Dickerson. Wow, Tim, you're coming out firing. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Former, I guess the coach speak worked. They huh, did. Dan? It Fired did. him out. <laughs> Former Cardinals pitcher Marco Gonzalez was traded into the NL Central back in December to which team? 
Was it the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Chicago Cubs, or the Milwaukee Brewers? Oh, I do not know that one. Let's go with, uh, what was the first option? Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, let's go with that. All right, a lot of thought put into that one. I love it. Uh, Question four, there are only two players in NFL history to tally five 200-plus yard receiving games. Lance Allworth and who else? Is it Andre Reid, Andre Johnson, or Calvin Johnson? Let's go with Andre Reid, Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. Let's go with with Calvin Johnson. All right, Calvin Johnson it is. We're going to go bring in Randy. Tim, how you feeling, man? Uh, I was. I know the first two, third one, no clue. Fourth one, took a guess. All Sometimes right. guessing is the best way to do it. Is Randy is squeaking his shoes on his way back into the studio after enjoying a grape or two? I had a grape or two. Yes. And then some sort of red drink over there. Yeah. What is that? It's uh, just a, an energy drink with a little bit of caffeine in it. You don't need that. I don't. I don't you got energy. plenty. You know, you got plenty of energy. <laughs> okay, plenty of energy. You bring it every morning. Thank you, Dan. No there problem, buddy. All right, let's do it. Randy, say hi to Tim. Tim, good morning. How are you doing? Good, Randy. How are you? Good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Uh, don't forget to get to Schnook so that you can buy your milk, eggs, and bread. Okay. And ribeye. And ribeye. <laughs> and ribeye. Yeah. Don't forget about the uh, the uh, adult beverages as well. Oh, no question about it. And the ribeye is yeah. very key. All right. You ready to take on Tim in the fight? Ready. Question number one, Randy. Which American man has the most Grand Slam titles with 14? In tennis? Yes. I think I'm going to go with Pete Sampras. I'm going to go with Pete Sampras on that one. Is there another sport that uses Grand Slams? Other than baseball. Uh, well, Tiger has uh, yeah. Tiger Slam Grand Slam. Oh, yeah. That was okay. The, the golf. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> All right, ready for question two? Mm-hmm. Ready. Which Rams rookie of the year running back has the record for the most rushing yards in his rookie season? Uh, Dan, I think I'm going to go with Eric Dickerson with that one. Eric Dickerson, 1983 or four? Okay. Uh, 84. So yeah. Eric Dickerson. Yeah, 1,800 yards plus. Yeah, he was pretty good. Question three, please. Former Cardinals pitcher Marco Gonzalez was traded into the NL Central back in December to which team? Uh, He's a member now of the Pittsburgh Pirates after having been traded from the the, the Seattle Mariners to the Atlanta Braves and then to the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's a member of the Pirates now. You remember which uh, player was traded for... Marco here in St. Louis? I think we might have got Tyler O'Neill for Marco Gonzalez. You betcha. G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S. There are only... Thank you, Mr. Buck. There are only two players. Hello. Hello. He'd give you K A R R A K E R. Character. There are only two players in NFL history to tally five 200 plus yard receiving games Lance Allworth and who else? Lance Allworth, AKA Bambi. Five 200 yard games. I'm going to do the lifeline. I have a, a thought in my head, and if this name pops up, I'm just going to go with it. Okay, ready? Ready. Andrew Reed. No. I'm sorry. Andre, Andre, Andre Reed. Reed. Uh, Andre Johnson mm-hmm. or Calvin Johnson. Okay. I was I was actually thinking Julio Jones. I'm going to go Megatron here. Calvin Johnson. All right. All right, then. Well, something rare has happened today. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Uh, a double jack happened. So uh, you both hit all four. So that means you have to go to the tiebreaker. So I, I apologize, Tim. Doesn't happen often that you get all four correct. And then you have to get one more right to beat Randy Carricker. But heck, 
That's what you got to do on this Friday. So let's go through the process here. I'm going to read the question. We're going to give Randy a moment to write down his answer. Tim, then you will give your answer audibly. And whoever is closest to the pin on this question is going to be the winner of today's fight. Tim, do you understand those rules? I do. Randy, do you have a piece of paper? I do. It's Lindenwood paper, Linden, the <laughs> Lindenwood University. And then I have a Sharpie. It's a, see, that's a, oh, and it says Sharpie. It does uh, not have Lindenwood on it. It doesn't okay. say Lindenwood, but it, so, oh, it's, a, it's a Sharpie fine point. I'll have you know. A little, a little dive into the mind of how I do these things. I might be in a, I'm, I mean, I'm in a whirlpool of um, stolen base trivia questions. So guess what? The tiebreaker is about stolen bases again because I can't get out of it. I love this stuff. Since 1901, there have been a dozen teams who failed as a whole team to steal more than 20 bases. What is the franchise record for the lowest team stolen base total in a full season since 1901? There have been a dozen teams since 1901 to steal who have failed as a team to steal more than 20 bases. What is the franchise record for the lowest team stolen base total in a full season in MLB history. Randy Carricker is writing down his answer. Randy, what is your guess, sir? Okay. I've got my guess. All right, Tim, what is your guess, sir? Nine. All right, Tim's guess was nine. Randy, what was your guess, sir? My guess is 35, Matthew. All right. I'm going to do a little quick math. Kerry always got mad at me because he said the math seemed too easy, but this is some tricky math right here. So I got to do, I got to pull out the calculator and everything. Is but we have, why are you Kerry Davising <laughs> me right now? I had to. CD would love this. Dang it. We have a winner in today's fight. Ring that bell. Oh, my bad. There it is. The winner and new champion of the fight, average Joe Listener. The fight is driven by Car Shield. Plans to fit any budget. Visit carshield.com today. I got the order screwed up there. Congratulations, Tim. You got that one right on the tiebreaker. The 1957 Senators stole 13 bases. Wow. They stole 13 bases as a whole team. They got thrown out 23 times trying to steal. So with an answer of nine, Tim, you were closer in the tiebreaker, and you are the winner of today's fight. You'll return for round two on Monday. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Good job. Wow. Good knowledge yeah, there. Great job, Tim, getting all four. Let's go through those answers. You already know them if you listen to the fight, but just in case you didn't, which American man has the most Grand Slam titles with 14? It is, in fact, Pete Sampras. Uh, got to that question because it's on. It's uh, John McEnroe's birthday, and hmm. he was incredible in the movie Mr. Deeds. That's why I always appreciate him. Which Rams rookie of the year running back has the record for the most rushing yards in his rookie season? It is, in fact, Eric Dickerson, who galloped for over 1,800 yards in 1983, which is ridiculous. Former Cardinals pitcher Marco Gonzalez, Randy Carricker, ran down the, um, the 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 run for you completely, traded to the Braves. Braves traded him to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he's in Pittsburgh. And only two players in NFL history to tally five 200-plus yard receiving games. It's Lance Allworth, and of course it is Megatron Calvin Johnson. Then again, the 1957 Senators, only 13-team stolen bases for the lowest in MLB history. Again, thank you to Tim for joining the fight and joining the show. We will hear from Tim on Monday morning. Coming up, Robert Thomas joins us as we talk about the Blues' 6-3 victory over Edmonton last night here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Thomas, score! Getting you inside the Blues locker room. It's time now for Blues forward Robert Thomas on the opening drive. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs.
Crimsley, Danny Mac, Randy Carricker, and we go to the celebrity line now and blues forward Robert Thomas, who was the number one star in last night's 6-3 win over Edmonton, joins us. He joins us every week here on 101 ESPN. Robert, uh, good morning. Congratulations on a good win last night. How are you doing? Thank you, guys. Doing well. Doing well. Robert, I know that we have talked about Jordan Bennington a lot, but it's for a very good reason because he has just been outstanding this season. And the way that he was just standing on his head, especially in that first period, what does that do for you guys in a game? Yeah, I think uh, it really gives us the chance to win. Uh, I mean, we didn't have a good first period. We got into a little bit of a track meet. And, um, you know, they have some obviously some really high-end players. And, um, you know, they they had two goals early um, and probably could have had you know, three, four, five goals in the first period if it wasn't for Pinner. So, um, you know, those are those are the times you want to clean up as a team in front of them and, and not let, you know, the game get like that. But when he stands on his head like that, it really changes the momentum. And uh, I think going out into the second period, that's what, that's what we were uh, so excited for was, you know, a chance to be in this game and, um, and not be fighting back from, from down three goals. Now, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here, just following up with Jordan Bennington, and I expect you to be completely biased in this answer, but do you feel like Bennington should get some more national credit for what he's been able to do this season? Yeah, I think he's, you know, I think he's flown under the radar. I think a couple guys on our team, I think Branco as well, has flown really under the radar, um, just in terms of how good they've been this season. And, um, you know, that's that's fine in our room. We don't really care about the the attention but um those are stuff that doesn't doesn't go unnoticed from from all the guys in our locker room hey robert what's it like uh, going into a game where you're going to be matched up a lot on the ice with Connor mcdavid and how you prepare to get ready for that challenge to try to slow down one of the best players in the world yeah uh i mean just you just got to pay attention to the details and really uh take care of the puck um i mean I, he ended up, I think, he with three points, but uh, I guess it's better than six. So uh, we'll take it. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's the best in the world, and um, you're never going to be able to fully shut him down. But um, you just got to try your best to, to limit his chances and um, need a good goalie as well. And, uh, you know, he did a great job of – keeping them off the, the score sheet big time. Robert, this sounds ridiculous because he is so dominant, because Connor McDavid is so dominant, but because you work with him so much during the summer, is there anything that you might know about him and his game and his tendencies that somebody else might not know that present prevent, present an advantage for you? Um, Maybe. Not really. I think he, you know, he's just so fast and the game's already fast enough that you only have kind of split seconds to make decisions. And, uh, I think just, you just try and go out and keep the puck away from him. I think that's the best thing you can do is, is try and limit the amount of time he gets the puck. And, um, but yeah, it, it, it happens so fast. You're not really thinking of that stuff. So under uh, Drew Bannister, you guys have won about twice as many games as you've lost. You've won eight out of 10. Now what's the vibe like in your dressing room? Yeah, I think as as a group, we've really just come together as a team. Uh, I mean, you're looking at games like that, uh, or just at, after the break, you know, just the amount of different guys that have stepped up and, and really contributed in big ways. Um, you know, looking at the Buffalo-Montreal and then last night's game, um, 
And I think that's what that's what our team's known for. That's how we've won in the past, and uh, that's what we need to to win games. We need everyone chipping in and and finding a way. And obviously, you need two great goalies to uh, you know carry the load back there. Now, this is more of kind of a fun or silly question, but two very different situations. But which one did you enjoy watching more? Nathan Walker's hit on Ryan Reeves or Marco Scandella's scrap last night? Yeah, I think they're they're both huge. Um, I think, you know, Scandy's scrap was, was awesome. Uh, you know, we had the momentum, and I think we just kind of took off after that. Um, you know, those those things are, are huge when teammates are, are stepping up like that. And, um, you know, Sunday got kind of can open, and I don't know what happened fully, but, uh, you know, emotions were high, and, uh, you know, him doing that was uh, was a huge lift for the team. What is it like when you go back to Toronto? Now, you did that for the All-Star game, but then you had Toronto the other night uh, playing in your hometown. Just what is it like for you, the ticket requests, the fun that you have, and just generally speaking, being back in your hometown? Yeah, it's always nice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm off limits on tickets. So I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you have so many family and friends. Uh, you know, last one the game I think I had 40 45 people so uh you know it doesn't really get old going going back home and playing uh you still kind of get that little bit of excitement and uh, always love doing it all right uh Robert I know that you guys watched the Super Bowl in Montreal and you got a chance to watch Mahomes you've seen him in person I'm going to give you a ticket to watch any athlete outside of hockey so it can be football it can be baseball it can be basketball it can be soccer uh, it can be tennis it can be an individual sport what athlete are you going to take the ticket to go see Uh, I'm probably going to stick with Pat Mahomes I think he's just just that good and especially when in pressure situations he always finds a way to to get through it and to pick up his team so He's, he's my guy for sure. He's he's amazing under pressure. And there is such thing as clutch, isn't there? And you played with O'Reilly, and he, he was great under pressure at, at big times. There is such thing as clutch in sports, isn't there? Yeah, there there is. I think there's some guys that just no matter what the situation is, they always try and they always find a way. Um, you know, I don't think that stuff's taught. I think it's just um, people are just born with it and they live in those moments. Hey, Robert, congratulations again on last night. Good to have the number one star on the show the night after you get the number one star. And go get him against Nashville tomorrow. Don't forget early start, 4 o'clock. Thank you. <laughs> All right, brother. See you later. That is uh, Robert Thomas with us on 101 ESPN. I guess driving out to practice, yeah. possibly. A little or a little practice. breakfast. Yeah, maybe just wanted to beat the weather. I liked your question. Who would it be that you'd pay outside of hockey to go watch? I like that. Mm-hmm. I, for me, it'd be Tiger. Ooh, yes, that is that, a really good one. Especially now, I have I've seen LeBron, and it's it is so different to watch LeBron James in person because he he gets down the court in a blink. I don't think we appreciate how fast he is when we're watching him on TV, but because it looks like th- those guys are jogging, but they get up and down the court in a blink, and he's faster than all the other guys. Yeah, I mean, like the block that he had in mm-hmm. the the Cleveland series win. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's just a few strides, and then he pins it up on the backboard. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So I, I think right now, although Mahomes is really fun to watch, mm-hmm. uh, I think I would still go with 39-year-old LeBron James. What really? about uh, we had Caitlin Clark come in, 636, says Messi. 
That would be fun to see him. There's some there's some names out there. Otani would be good. I would definitely want to see Otani. I think tennis wise, Roger Federer, even though he is done with tennis, Mm -hmm. I wish I could have seen him. Rafael Nadal is one of my other favorite tennis players. Alcaraz too now too, right? Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, there's some some great athletes that we need to savor uh, because especially a guy like Mahomes, you never know. He's he's 28 now. But a guy like LeBron at 39, if we, if you haven't appreciated him because of you're a Michael Jordan acolyte, which is fine, just watch him play. So and, if you're a hockey fan, Connor McDavid. McDavid's my guy. Bedard, you know, yeah. chance to watch him. He put on a show in St. Louis. So there's some out there that I think you'd, you'd pay a ticket single-handedly just to watch them. Yeah. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, big news this morning for St. Louis City SC. We're going to tell you what that is next here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It is the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Brooke Grimsley, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, And big news this morning for St. Louis City SC. And Matt Seebeck, the Chief Experience Officer for St. Louis City SC, is here. And this is already up on on the socials, so uh, we can say that you've got your new road kits out. And they are amazing. Good morning, Matthew. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, this, this is beautiful, and uh, you can check it out online. Just go to X and uh, uh, all of the socials, whether you you want to go to the city Facebook page or Instagram or wherever. How did this come about? It's a beautiful red and white uh, kit. Yeah, so, I mean, we start with the red. I mean, this uh, I think we took the soccer world by storm a bit last year uh, on and off the field, and that, that unique color of city red, it just looks great on broadcast against the green field and uh, our home jerseys will stay for another year and we're going to keep those really big bright bold red so we wanted to wanted to bring that pop of color to our away jerseys and so you see that featured so prominently on the away kits um, against that white base so we think it just really pops up but the design that you see on the front is a bit of a wave pattern and that's really inspired by the confluence of our rivers here it's it's uh, the, the meeting of the Missouri and Mississippi which we think is such a it's a beautiful analogy it's the intersection of two things coming together uh, which we felt at City Park last year uh, of just a, a lot of different people and backgrounds coming together so we wanted to feature that very prominently on, on the jersey this year they look fantastic and by the way if you go to the air Alliance studio cam Brooke has hers on just go to YouTube and <laughs> 101 I'm ESPN. It right now. Yeah. yeah, she's modeling it, and I'll hold mine up during the course of the interview, too. <laughs> it, it looks so good. And Matt, one thing that I have gathered from you is that you guys pay attention to the little details of everything. And each jersey is different in its own way. It's like a fingerprint, right? Yeah. And like the details, uh, that's a bit of like the Apple philosophy. If you take mm-hmm. care of the small stuff, uh, hopefully, you're, you know, the fans will trust you with the big things. And so uh, I think the details really come alive on the jersey and it's the, the small things we really like. So that that wave pattern on the front, uh, it was a bit of a late addition uh, in our collaboration with Adidas where we wanted every jersey to to be, you know, truly unique and look like a fingerprint. We like this idea that you know, last year from uh, fans to media to fr- uh, the, the players, uh, chefs in the building, everyone put their their stamp and their fingerprint on the club. And so bringing that into the jersey this year we thought was really cool. For the casual fan out there, Matt, they're saying, now, wait a minute, they're in year two, so why are we changing jerseys? So can you explain that? Yeah, it's um, a bit of a, you know, 
European soccer culture is every year there, there's a there's a new jersey, um, and sometimes those changes are, are small, sometimes they're bigger. Um, just kind of signifies you know new year rebirth. Um, so for us, you know, we didn't want to change both of them. Uh, we kept the home jersey, as I said, and just refreshed uh, our away jersey. So every year, you know, we'll, we'll introduce one kit. Matt, we talked last year during the season and after the season about how everything from our perspective was so perfect for City SC. But I know that you're thinking about everything all the time. Was there anything that you didn't like about what you had going last? And I'm talking about off the field, obviously. On the field, everything went great. But the experience, you're the chief experience officer. Was there anything about the experience that you said, I've got to change that? Nothing, nothing too big. I mean, we're getting fan feedback and surveys all the time. So we're making small changes throughout the year. I think have a really good culture of just continuous improvement. And even this off season, we could have said, you know, year one was was great. Um, So let's uh, let's just do the exact same thing. Um, we really wanted this culture of like Netflix season two, where if, yeah. if you saw the first season and liked it, um, we've got to do even more to to capture your your, your you know your mind and attention. So uh, new characters, mm-hmm. uh, new plot lines. So that's where you see us introducing new food partners. Um, we'll have new things added to our block party, which is you know our festival before the game. So um, I think we're always looking to make improvements. But I think you know the lesson learned of um, you know prior to having any games at City Park, what fans how we thought fans were going to act versus how they actually act. Uh, those were the biggest surprises to us. So of, of those things, because I was yeah. going to ask this very question about the food, local, the yeah. music, local, the block party. What are you most proud of? What did, what did Matt Seebeck always say when you went to sporting events here? That, Man, I would do it differently. I would do this if I were in charge of a situation like this. What are you most proud of? I, well, I think it's a, it's a realization that we on the business side have no control over what happens on the field. Mm -hmm. And so we sure as hell better make the experience off the field one that is exciting and dynamic and, and for us, very pride-inducing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the biggest, you know, the, the the thing that we love the most is when people come in and say that City Park, it, it doesn't feel like I'm in St. Louis. You know, there's good food, good architecture, good art, great music, but but it is in St. Louis. And, and I think that is, that's the realization we're looking for people to make is this is, City Park is St. Louis on display. And if we can, yeah. you know, have people smiling as they walk in the door, win, loss, or draw, that, that we've done a good job. And I loved the experience last year. I mean, it was so exciting. I tell every single person, because people would ask me, they'd be like, okay, maybe I'm not that into soccer just yet. Is it worth going to game? I said, 100%, because you could not beat the environment. And as Randy said, everybody was talking about it across the league. I know that you're talking about some upgrades, some new things that are going to be happening. Can you give us a little bit of a hint of some things that we can experience for that game day now? Yeah, I mean, we've, um, you know, the pregame is is kind of an important ritual to us, you know, where the lights go out, Everything glows city red. Um, so we'll have, you know, some additive entertainment during that um, just to continue to build the hype. We'll have, you know, a new video, some other little details here and there. We announced our new food partners. Um, we'll have a new music program that we're announcing um, this weekend. So, um, again, just little things. It's, a, you know, the insight was people love local food, local music, um, kind of that hype and, and um, you know, the energy and excitement of pregame. We just want to add to that. So when does it all fire up? I mean, people are like, wait a minute, it's already here? So it is for you guys. It's already here. It's already here. Yeah, not a big off season. Um, so it actually, it begins this weekend. We're having a, a free fan event at the Armory tomorrow. Saturday from 1 to 3. It's free, midday, family-friendly, indoors. Uh, we'll have plenty of activities. The players and coaches will be out there. And then we begin play next week. 
Um, so next Tuesday, we're in the Champions Cup. So this is a tournament that only 27 teams uh, can make it in. Uh, it's the best teams in North America. We were entered because we finished top of the conference last year. Um, there are some limited tickets still available for Tuesday night's game, so that should be really, really fun. And then next Saturday, uh, a week from tomorrow, we have our Major League Soccer opener against Real Salt Lake. It's unbelievable. So two <laughs> events already, two events next week. And the new kits available now at the... Uh, City store and extended hours today, right? If people want to pick up a, a new kit, yeah. So you can you can get the kit uh, exclusive today to City Pavilion, right across the street from City Park, down on Market Street there, and then of course uh, tomorrow at the fan event at the Armory 1 to 3. It'll be available then as well. Fantastic. And City Pavilion open until 7 o'clock tonight if you'd like to stop by and be among the first to pick up this beautiful new STL City kit. Matthew, uh, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. By the way, you so you're a soccer guy. I, I am. You're through and through. But you did go Jersey a couple of times. So if I, <laughs> if I say Jersey, am I cool with, with Jersey? It's fine. Look, I, I think Kit is, call Kit the, Kit's the full the outfit. The whole thing. That's why I was wondering uh, if you yeah. were going to bring shorts by for us. <laughs> and socks. I want to see the socks on you, Randy. We were expecting that, yeah. We were ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Keep up the great work. And uh, we, we love having you guys stop by. And we love the new kits, and we can't wait until the season starts. Yeah, I appreciate the support. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Seebeck, he is the chief experience officer over at St. Louis City SC. And the new kit out. Brooke is wearing hers. Just check it out on I'm YouTube wear it right all now. Day. Looks yeah, great. She's going to wear it all day. Fantastic. All day. Coming up next, we're going to talk some uh, blues hockey with Joe Vitale here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. One, two, three, four. Joins us here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Always good to hear from Joe Vitale. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, Randy. I'm doing doing fantastic. I'm I'm at CBC High School right now in the parking lot. I'm waiting to go in. I got to do a quick little video tribute. John Jost, the head coach of the ice hockey team, the legend John Jost is retiring after this season. This is his last year, so they're doing a nice little tribute, and some former players are coming in to do a a video for him. So. I'm sitting over here at my alma mater, looking around the campus, thinking back on the days of high school, and it was a big blender back in the day, but uh, certainly reminiscent on some old days. All right, so I, I want to know, because high school coaches hold such an important part of the heart of America, and especially when you're in those formative years, you can really be impressed impressed by, you're, you're in an impressionable age. Uh so you can be impressed by a coach. What was the biggest thing you took out of your experience with John Jost? The biggest thing, Randy, uh, you know, it's funny you bring this up. I was talking to my son about this the other day. I think it's so important for kids in high school to show a certain level of obedience to your coach. You know, in, in high school is obviously a, a hard time on everybody. It's a, it's a kind of a pivotal age and you're going through a lot of different changes uh, peer pressure and friend groups and dances and it's just like a blender of so many different things and I think if you're not careful you get caught up in that you start figuring out that you know 
you just think you want to be free and you want to make your own choices and decisions. And, and there's this level of disobedience to teachers and coaches. And, and I remember, you know, growing up, my dad was just big on obedience. Like I never really wanted to disappoint my parents or my grandparents and certainly my teachers. And John Joe's fell into that. I remember being a freshman in high school and John Joe's comes up to me and I had played defense my entire life. I was always a right defenseman ever since I was eight years old. So he grabs me, you know, 10 years into my playing career, wherever it was at that point, And he pulls me aside my freshman year and he says, Hey Joe, I think I'm going to have you play center this year. And that, I mean, that's like in football, like let's say, you know, a, a tight end going to the defensive end. I mean, it's a completely different position. There's all these different things. I got to do face-offs. I'm in the offensive zone now. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And I was, I was a pretty decent defenseman uh, to the point where they thought I was going to play varsity my freshman year. And I remember my coach saying that and John telling me that. And I just remember being like, okay, sounds good, coach. Like, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever you need. And I was just happy to, you know, to serve him and, and to be a part of it. And he's like, yeah, I think we got a spot for you on varsity, but I want you to play center. And there are so many kids nowadays that you tell them to maybe try a different position. They look at you like they got, you have 14 heads. They're like, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a winger. I'm a defenseman or in volleyball. No, no, I'm a, I'm an outside hitter. What do you mean? You're going to move me to right. I mean, there's all these different things because kids get so kind of pigeonholed into what they think they are. So my advice to, to young kids would be just be obedient and listen to your coaches. And I'm really glad I did because it was that moment that I started playing center. And of course I played center the rest of my career and, Without John Jost and, and him pulling me aside my freshman year, maybe maybe I don't uh, continue to play hockey at the level I did. So I would say, looking back, I was really grateful that John saw something in me that I probably didn't see myself or maybe a lot of coaches missed. But he saw something different in me, put me at center, and, of course, uh, I never looked back. Is obedient a word that we would apply to the Vitali kids at this age currently? You know what? In phases. It, it comes and goes. I don't know about – I know you guys got kids. This is – my wife literally texted me this last night. Our kids, I feel like they read off each other very well. Like, there's always one kid dealing with something. You know, for me, two weeks ago was my daughter. You know, she's on a very high-level volleyball team, and she wasn't playing a lot, and, you know, her grades were slipping. So we just focus on her. Okay, we talk to her. We go on walks. You know, how you doing? Let's, okay, let's figure this out. How can I help? Where do you need me? And then we get her going after a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden my son slips up. And now my son's going to the you know principal's office, and I got you know teacher conferences with him. So now we're like, okay, so we got another, another one. Now we'll get him on the right track in a week or two, and then someone else is going to – it's like this constant evolution of can everyone just get along? Can we just all get on the same page for like a week and give mom and dad a break? So uh, I, I would say, if anything, uh, obedience is something we are trying to continue to preach, Randy. I don't know if it's stuck just yet. I, I, I like to believe that it is sticking. It is something that uh, definitely, I think, over time, if they hear it enough, eventually it will, it will come around and, and hopefully be a, be a big deal. But obedience certainly was a big thing growing up. I was an Italian Catholic and, you know, going to my nanu's house or parents' house, you, you kiss them hello, you hug them hello every single time. It's just without question. One time I forgot to give my nanu a hug and kiss when I walked in the house. My dad, I'll never forget it. I was about 10, 11 years old. He grabbed me by my shirt, pulled me aside, and he said, did you, did you kiss your nanu, which is my dad's dad from Sicily? I said, oh, God, Dad, no, I'm sorry, I forgot. He's like, don't you ever, ever walk in this house ever again and not give your nanu a kiss hello. So that was the last time I ever did not give my nanu a kiss hello 
So little things like that, I, I feel like ever since I was a kid, uh, certainly um, stuck with me over time. And I like to think that one day, one day it'll all come together for my kids, too. Well, Joey, if you could, just go ahead and start writing a book for, I hope to one day be a parent, but I feel like I get a lot of advice from you since you have gone through it with all these different situations. Well, and that's the thing, Brooke. It's like, I I sometimes look at myself, I'm like, I'm just a kid. Like, I'm a, I'm a kid. I, I, sometimes you pinch yourself, like, gosh, I have five kids. Like, I can't believe you're, they're even listening to me. I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I think a lot of parents out there really can, can reason with that idea that there's really no playbook. And then on the flip side, you've actually been around some good parents, some bad parents, some good mentors, some bad mentors. And the reality is you have to unlearn a ton throughout the process. But meanwhile, you're, you're having to learn on the go, and your experiment are your kids, and you're learning and they're making mistakes with your own children. And, and certainly that's no fun, and, and you just hope for forgiveness one day from them because they'll realize one day that, geez, mom and dad were just kids, and they had no idea what they're talking about, and, and hopefully we can all move on in a positive direction. Joey, a nice win for the Blues last night. How enjoyable was that second period? I think that was probably the best period, Dan, that I saw all year out of the St. Louis Blues team. And it was a great response in the first period. You know, was it a good first period? It was fine. You know, it was a 1-1 period, right? You think you're going into the intermission, feeling pretty good about yourself. You're being on shot 14-8, you know, but your goalie's standing on his head. But all of a sudden, late, they allow a two-on-one. McDavid sets up Nugent Hopkins, and all of a sudden, the, the Oilers are up two-to-one. And then you're thinking, oh, boy, like, how is this team going to respond? Are they going to have a pushback, or is this where Edmonton just takes off with it? I thought St. Louis uh, did a terrific job in that second period. You know, one thing about Drew Bannister, I'm hearing more and more from players, Drew Bannister, uh, one of his strengths is his, is his chats. When he goes into the locker room, he's got a very commanding voice. I talked to Brayden Shen about this last weekend, actually. He said he's got great talks. He's very inspirational. So, you know, you come in the locker room, being down two to one, something lit a fire under that team, uh, and it just exploded. But you need you need good soldiers, right? And to me, Jake Neighbors was the guy in that second period. He was the catalyst. He started bringing the physicality, knocking over McDavid, sticking dry sidle on, on faceoffs. You saw him get on the board, tie the game up, multiple assists in that second period. So it was very explosive, a great, great environment for St. Louis, not only to watch Connor McDavid, but to see that the Blues really kind of take off and run away with that game uh, was really special. Sometimes, Joey, on this show, we'll play a little game. It's called uh, What He Said and What He Means. When you said the first period, it was fine. What did you really mean? It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's funny. It's funny. I don't know why I use that word. I think I think fine is the worst four-letter word in the English language that starts with an F. I mean that. I, I, I would rather say the other word than fine. I Fine means that it, fine is it's okay enough, but I don't want to do anything about it. Like when my kids say I'm doing fine, I'm like, don't you ever say you're doing fine. Like, how was your game? Fine. No, no. I'd rather it be terrible than fine. Like, at least let's be real about what it was. And, yeah, so I don't know why I use that word. It wasn't very good. The first period was not very good, and the second period was a lot better. It, it was, and, and the third period was great, and it was a great win for the Blues. Well, okay, one other thing here. Uh, being a hockey guy and being at CBC, where you are right now, uh, soccer hotbed as well as a hockey hotbed, uh, we just got the new kits for City SC. Historically, in hockey, the jersey has been called a sweater. Are you a hockey jersey or hockey sweater guy? I think I'm a I think I'm a jersey guy. Okay. And you know what? I, I if there's one thing 
I would like to see hockey players do. I don't know how this would work because they play so many more games in soccer. But the one tradition I've always loved in soccer when it comes to their sweaters or jerseys, I love when players exchange at the end of the game. I, I don't know what that would look like for hockey, but if, if players could exchange jerseys, I know it would be cool for players to kind of take like a McDavid jersey, for example. The problem is, I guess, everyone would be fighting for the McDavid jersey all the time <laughs> right. or the jersey. Uh, but that is certainly one tradition I've always loved in soccer and, and certainly looking forward to this season uh, starting for St. Louis City. It's amazing how fast the offseason goes. And I know soccer is a long season, but you can feel the buzz and the energy in the city. I'm telling you right now, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but – I'm kind of thinking, I'm thinking April right now, and I really see this Blues team uh, making a hard push. I think they got the goaltending. I really do believe Doug Armstrong's going to add some good pieces here. This could be a team that goes one, two, possibly three rounds and, and makes it really exciting in April and May, and then you got soccer starting. It, it could be a very fun time here in St. Louis. 4 o'clock start tomorrow, 3 o'clock pregame. Joey and Alex will have the pregame for you. By the way, Predators in town. You think the Blues have any revenge on their minds? And it's a long season, and you have losses, but man, I that loss the day after Thanksgiving sticks in my craw, the loss to, to Nashville. Yeah, that, that was that was a bit of an embarrassment. That, that game was not fine. I'll tell you that, right? It was not <laughs> fine. Uh, that was embarrassing. But you know what? The, the Nashville Predators got embarrassed last night against the Dallas Stars. They got shellacked. I believe the final score was 9-2. to two. So as much as the Blues want to seek revenge, I think the Nashville Predators are going to be just as revengeful and trying to get back on the winning track as now they're chasing the St. Louis Blues and the Blues are creating themselves quite a little gap. It should be a fun one tomorrow afternoon. I love the early start. Great for families. Great for young kids as well. So uh, I think every game on Saturday and Sunday should be uh, before 6 p.m. So this will be a great start time. Joey V, you're the best. Thanks so much for taking the time. Congratulations to Coach Joe Stide. I used to do hockey for Charter, and I always enjoyed working with him because he was so forthcoming about the team. And heck, when you're coaching CBC, you can be. But uh, he he was, was and is a great coach, one of the best in the history of our area. Yes, he, he really is, and, and we're certainly going to miss him. I remember growing up, uh, it, it was everything to wear purple and gold. Around the Aston ice rink, everyone wanted to wear purple and gold. Now I see all these doggone baby blue slew hoodies. It drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> I always tell the kids, if you got a fire at home, throw it in the fire. They always give me looks, but uh, we, we, need, we need more kids wearing the purple and gold. Yes, you do. Thank you, Joey. See you later. Take care. See you guys. Joey V with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, Ali Marmal had a conversation with MLB Network, and there's somebody that he's really counting on. We're going to tell you who it is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. Welcome back to the opening drive. Brooke, Randy, and Dan here, and we have some breaking news, Dan. Oh, yeah? What do we got? One ESPN breaking news alert. Oh, and Randy's in the room for this breaking news. Breaking news, A.J. McCarron is officially returning to the Battlehawks. This is absolutely great news. Of course, we saw the reports. We talked about this the other day where he actually wanted to leave the Bengals at a chance to come back here to St. Louis. And now, guys, it is officially official. AJ McCarron is back. He will be a St. Louis Battlehawk once again. I've always dreamed since I was a little kid of my team winning the UFL Cup. Randy, <laughs> so, stop! Uh, and AJ McCarron can lead the way for us. Hey! Oh yeah! I I'm always Big excited breaking about news. Football. There you go. 
So, uh, and uh, one other note, uh, it was announced yesterday that the available 400-level tickets have been sold out and more have been released by the Battlehawks. So there are more 400-level tickets available on a season basis for your Battlehawks. So let's put this in perspective. How many fans then is at 40,000 you can expect? 45? Yeah, yeah. 40, 45, I would say. And what's say, the yeah. dome hold? 66. Wow. Not too bad. No, pretty good. Yep, pretty good. I'm excited. So. Are you guys going to go to a game this year? Uh, yeah. Hello. Of course. Um, sure. No? You know what? I, I, I'm always down for some football, especially Battle Hawks. It's going to be great. If my kids want to go, I'll take them. We'll there also have baseball in St. Louis this spring. And... Ali Marmol, the Cardinal manager, was on MLB Network yesterday and was asked about some of the young players that he has and was asked what his expectations are of one DH, Nolan Gorman. Yeah, these guys have a lot of, of skill, man. When you talk about Gorman, um, the season we're expecting from him, the way he's prepared this offseason to just get his body right in order to be in the lineup more often and just stay healthy, um, he's done some meaningful things to make sure that happens. So uh, we're expecting a big year out of him. This is a power bat that uh, he, he's scary when he's right. And then you, you add Newport to that mix. Um, another year of experience underneath his belt could be meaningful as well. And then some of those guys enjoy Jordan Walker, man, this is a guy, you, you got to remember, he hasn't played outfield for, for a very long time. He's made that transition. We're asking him to make adjustments at the highest level. And at the end of the day, the, the more games he gets underneath his belt, um, the more comfortable and confident he's going to be. Uh, Mason Wynn, he's working hard. Um, he's shown what he can do defensively. He's working on that offense, and uh, he's going to be just fine. So we do have a young group that uh, is exciting um, to go along with the veteran group that we brought in. What do you think the odds of all four of those? Those guys ascending to a, a major league competency level of winning a division are the one I'd be, I think, a little bit uh, wait and see would be Mason Wynn, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. you know we only had what 137 at bats last year in the major leagues. I think he'll be fine defensively, but if he's overwhelmed by pitching, that would concern me a little bit. I do expect an uptick from Nolan Gorman. Lars Newbar has got to stay on the field. Well, in the, the room we're in, I, Dan, you have not had a chance, and now you're an official member of the Nutty Neuters of Newt Nation. I'm good. I, I'm going to stay out of that and just focus on Lars. Oh, well, we when th- good things happen, we go, Newt. I'm not a cheerleader. I am. You're a cheerleader. <laughs> I am. I just come in and try to, you know... Dive into a few numbers and, you know, have just extremely hot takes. Yeah. Well, you there do. you go. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily a cheerleader because the founder, president, vice president, CEO, and treasurer of the Nutty Neuters of Newt Nation right across the table. Is you that can right? say we're cheerleaders. It's totally fine. Yeah. We're, we're cheering them on. Okay. But the rest of the Cardinals team, too. We are expected. We're right there with Greg Amsinger. We're expecting 90-plus wins from this team this season. I don't expect 90-plus, but I do expect them to be mid-80s. I wonder, <laughs> by the way, Jordan Walker worked with Jose Okendo, who did play limited outfield, but Jordan worked with Okendo on his outfield skills during the offseason. I know Jordan Walker has the physical ability, I think, to be a really good outfielder. I'm I know he does. His skill set is tremendous. I wonder how polished of an outfielder he will be on opening day. That's a good question. Um, I think the game, just we've talked about this, was so fast on him last year that anything that he puts out this year is an improvement. Now, Mm -hmm. does that mean he's going to be gold glove? No. Does he have a really big arm? Yes. Just the little nuances of, of things that got past him last year, I bet that stuff is cleaned up. 
imagine, that would be my guess. Yeah, imagine if they actually would have prepared him for the outfield a little bit sooner before they traded Harrison Bader, because no. they didn't start getting him out there in the minors until after they traded Harrison Bader. Yeah, they Bader. really did him a disservice, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So. I believe so. It's, it's a shame, but hopefully that's something that can be fixed. So there are a lot of ifs with this ball club, and it's I think it's a good thing that uh, the Cardinals are seeing positive so far. The one guy I'm looking forward to is Nolan Gorman. That's the guy that if they can come out and get him you know, on the field playing in, let's say, 140 games, maybe 145, he's going to have a monster season. I mean, he won't be 24 until May 10th. And the the thing I'm curious about is how much will they let him play against, if at all, left-handed pitching? Even against the lefties, he homered once every 18 at-bats. That's going to improve. So will he get a chance against left-handed pitching? Now it's 70% right-handers in Major League Baseball, so he's going to play a lot. But would you give him an opportunity to advance in his career by, you know what, playing against lefties? Yes. Uh, I would, too. I, I think that's the only way to do it. Uh, one other note, by the way, from Ali, and he, there were a lot of things that happened last year, and one of them, as a young manager, you don't really handle everything well. And upon reflection, all of the kerfuffle about Wilson Contreras is something that uh, he thinks if he had to do it over again, he'd do it differently. Yeah, Pete, I, I wish I would have handled that better, to be quite honest with you. Um, just because there's only so much that, that you can say. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that was, uh, I mean, it was a, taught a master class on perseverance and just being true to the team. Um, he did a phenomenal job of finishing the second half, and um, it was impressive. But uh, been able to spend a lot of time with him, actually flew down to Orlando and had dinner with him during the offseason. And he's going to be our catcher. This is a guy that's worked extremely hard at, at the catching position when you look at his his framing numbers and what he's looking to do um, this upcoming year. He's put in a lot of work this offseason, so I think we're going to see a much better version of him. He's working at it, and um, from a leadership standpoint, you, you can count on this guy. He cares, and uh, I love having him on this club. I wonder, well, I, I was concerned last year. I, I wonder if uh, he learned enough so that the messaging of the Cardinals is improved this year over last year. I just want to see him be better defensively, you know, and whether that comes from Ollie and conversations and having dinners and all that good stuff to, you know, build culture, which is part of it. Here's the bottom line. He's got to be better defensively. Yeah, I think he's going to be very good offensively. He's a good offensive player. He made case he was the best hitter that you had in the second half or final two months of the regular season. So that doesn't concern me. But how much does he play with an emerging Herrera in terms of defensively behind the plate? And I think that's a legit question. I do like that Ollie held himself accountable in that situation because that's what we wanted to hear from the Cardinals last season. That situation could have been handled better. And I do agree with you, Dan, that that is something that Wilson Contreras also needs to improve on is his defense the way he calls a game going into this season. I am very interested to see how this all will play out with Yvonne Herrera and with Wilson Contreras, how they will manage the two and what that situation will be like. Because what if you do, I'm just saying, what if you do get to a situation where Yvonne Herrera is going to kind of turn into more of your main catcher, maybe a catcher that the pitchers prefer to work with, and then where does that put Wilson Contreras? Because you also have Nolan Gorman, who I assume will be your primary DH. It's a good question. Um, And I'll take it a step further. What if your outfielders are not performing at a level – 
Now, this is a lot of what-ifs where Herrera all of a sudden becomes a, a star when he's playing and you can't keep him out of the lineup. Maybe one of your outfielders isn't playing at a higher level and Contreras moves to the outfield for a little bit. Give him just If you're trying to find at-bats and figure out ways to construct your lineup, I know that may be far-fetched because they're invested in him being behind the plate, but that is something to throw out there. It's a, it's a scenario that could happen. I like the idea, though, of whether it be Contreras or Gorman, one of those guys getting some time in the outfield during spring training as a corner outfield guy, whether it's Contreras DHing and Gorman being in a corner outfield spot or Wilson Contreras being a corner outfielder. I, I like the idea of the Cardinals providing themselves that opportunity to be versatile. Has Gorman ever played any at any level of the outfield? No. Okay. I, I just would get concerned... I want to get him off his feet or whatever he has to do to keep his back healthy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what yep. that may be, but I'm trying to make sure that his best position is on the right side or the left side of the batter's box. I wonder if it's legal to ha- give him like a hover round for left field. So What's a hover round? It's like a little scooter. You know? oh, oh, okay. No, people, Randy. People drive a hover round right to the edge of the Grand Canyon. They never show him going over. Hover round takes not. you where you want to go. Probably not. I haven't heard that. It might be a naked gun, though. Maybe they used one in naked gun. They did. <laughs> you know? They did, yeah. OJ had one, remember? Yeah. Nord- yeah. Lieutenant Nordberg. Yep. Went, uh, then he was on the the top level of the yep. stadium and went uh, rolling down. <laughs> yeah. Down the steps. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Coming up. This, this, this one got off the rails a little it, it bit. It did. Yeah. yeah. But it's fun. It's hot takes. It's <laughs> hot takes. They said, what is coming your way on 101 ESPN? You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome back to the Opening Drive. Brooke, Randy, and Dan here. And it is time for, they said, what? 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 You got one of those in you, Dan? No, I'm good. I'm just what? Oh, there you go. There you go. That was a really good one. Just going to throw it out there for sure. We've been wearing you down today with Yo-Ho, Week Back jokes, and now they said what? I'm all about it. (laughs) You'll be like, thank God it's the weekend. Well, we're going to start with John Tortorella. As we know, guys, he's really known for speaking his mind, and he didn't hold back in his recent comments. It's really framed. This is a question within a question, okay? So this was framed around Ridley Gregg's empty net slap, uh, slap shot. Was that... That was the other night, right? Yep. That happened the other night. And then the whole situation with Morgan Riley after that and the whole response from Morgan Riley. And Torch was asked for his take on hockey's cultural shift with the youth movement taking over in the league. It's a different league. It's a a different league in... um, I'm going to be really careful how I say (laughs) it. I I think there is... Well... It's a dumb league. It, 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 it is, it's changed for coaches, too. And we've had to make adjustments because there are so many mistakes made. And I, I guess the thing with the young athletes is sometimes you have to wait your turn, right, as far as gaining respect and, and not wanting everything right now and not expecting everything right now as far as ice time, as far as your contract, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's good just to wait your turn and earn it. I think that's where I think the athletes have, have changed. They have entourages around them that I think direct them the wrong way. And uh, the hierarchy of a room, the hierarchy of what it is to be a pro, the process you have to go through as a pro, I think's lost a little bit. So, 
Do you guys agree with Torts? Because if you saw that whole situation with Greg's empty net slap shot, it was a little too showy, and we know how kind of old-school hockey players feel about that. But did you agree with Riley's response, and did you agree with what Torts said about this cultural shift that we're seeing? I don't think, even if you are a young person, that you can disagree with what he said. Well, you, you might disagree with dumb, but there has been a cultural shift. Sports used to be a lot more respectful, and there used to be a knowledge that you had to pay your dues, and there used to be tremendous respect for the opposition. And I think in all sports, that's something that has been lost with the last generation or so. And when you find the young person that is willing to pay their dues and become great and not just expect that they're going to be thrown into the fire and be great right away. I think you've got a diamond, and it's it's a very rare thing to find right now. It's a different league, no question about it. I mean, the players are different. The rules of engagement, if you will, are different. The one thing that stood out to me, what he said, dumb league? So this is a dumb <laughs> league. What if you're the league? What if you're the players and you hear something like that? I would take offense to that. You know, who are you to say this is a dumb league? I mean, obviously he's got a great resume, but that would that would upset me a little bit. <laughs> he said, I have to be careful about the way I choose my words. And that's what he came out <laughs> with. This is a dumb league. <laughs> I you know? agree with you, Dan. I mean, that's not exactly what you want to hear, but I don't think that he's exactly wrong with what he's saying. It's not something that we're just seeing in hockey. We've talked about this in baseball, about where you're seeing a lot with these younger athletes that are coming in at the pro level. Things have been so specialized for them, and sometimes even the fundamentals are lost that you're seeing kind of those mistakes in the game that you wouldn't typically see. I think the money's changed everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just a different era of sports. And that's when I talk about finding a diamond. You know who I was thinking about? Maybe it's because he's top of mind. But Patrick Mahomes never complained one whit when he was drafted 10th overall and had to sit for a year behind Alex Smith. And he still talks about how valuable that year was sitting behind and learning from Alex Smith. And I would think for young hockey players, go back to Doug Gilmore. Start, and I know this is really old stuff, but Doug Gilmore playing on the fourth line as a, a rookie and learning how to play defense and then becoming a Hall of Fame player. Robert Thomas played on the wing, right? And Robert Thomas now is, you might not believe it, but when you look at his numbers, he's one of the premier centers in the league because he's worked his way up. And he didn't ask for anything. He worked for, for what he's got. And then you look at, and I don't want to cast aspersions on the guy like Jordan Cairo, but all of us, including his coaches, have talked about how he needs to be better at the 200-foot game. But it was almost like he expected, okay, I'm going to play in the offensive end and I'm going to score goals. That was what it appeared to me to be in the early part of his career. And he's learning. But I do think that there is a lack of awareness on the part of a lot of young players in all sports as to the need to know how to go about learning how to play your game. Know the business. Yeah. Like, when he did the slap shot, I was shocked. I mm-hmm. was like, wow. I can't, I mean, I couldn't believe he did that in that sport, but he did. And then I thought to myself, this is where we're at. This is sports today, whether you like it or not. Now, Brooke, there is such thing as a dumb league. There is. <laughs> Maybe Major League Baseball? Oh, is that what it is? Oh, no, don't call baseball a dumb league. But as we have talked about the past few days, there's a lot of controversy surrounding, you know, those jerseys from fanatics because of the way that they look, the quality, everything. But Rob Manfred came out and defended the new jerseys and actually said that he thinks a lot of players will like them. 
Well, we always pay attention to what people are saying um, uh, about any new initiative. Um, I think you know in baseball, any new initiative, there's going to be some negative feedback. Um, first and most important, uh, th these are Nike jerseys. I mean, we entered this partnership with Nike because of who they are and the kinds of products that they produce. Um, Everything they've done for us so far has been absolutely 100% successful across the board. Um, the jerseys are different. They're designed to be performance wear as opposed to what has traditionally been worn, so they are going to be different. But they have been tested more extensively than any jersey in any sport. Uh, the feedback from the All-Star game last year where the jerseys were worn was uniformly positive from the players. So I think after people, you know, wear them a little bit, I think that they're going to be really popular. Mm. He lied there. Can I? Can, <laughs> okay, uh, go ahead. These jerseys are designed by Nike, but produced in the Thank MLB you. release. They are produced by Fanatics. Yes. Did he not say they're, they're produced by Nike? He did. Okay. I thought he did, We yeah. don't need to play it again. So that's a lie. It's a different animal altogether if it's produced by Nike. How is Fanatics landing all of these deals? Because I don't think I've ever heard a player, because we, we had the issues with hockey too, it seems like nobody really truly likes the quality of the jerseys on the player side. I think it's more the, like the names on the back. Yes, that's yeah. what looks weird to me. The, just the, the last name of the player on the back. The front, I'm okay with, I guess. Mm -hmm. I've looked at some of the other uniforms that are in spring training, but the names on the back look... Just They just look odd to me. And I, I do agree with what he's saying here, though. I think you'll get used to it. You may not like it, but after a couple of weeks of watching it, you'll just get used to seeing it. Yeah, sadly. But the, the, <laughs> the problem is, like, we've, we've got a, a late Chris Duncan jersey out there. The, the Majestic jerseys were beautiful that MLB had. And the lettering is fine. If it's not broke, why fix it? And what they do look like, and we had the text yesterday, they look like a giveaway. They do. They really do. It's just the quality. I think it's the stitching that I've noticed that's really thrown me off, the quality of that. Mm -hmm. The placement, as you mentioned, Dan, of the name and the numbers, something just looks off. And then the quality of the jersey itself just does not look high quality, in my opinion. And right. haven't the players complained about the feel and the fit? Yes. That's so, the main problem, I would yeah. say. If yeah. players don't like it, that's that's number one. Right. If they're, if they're not comfortable in it, that's, that's not a good thing. Yeah. And I think what you said, Dan, is what... Rob Manfred is counting on that we'll just get tired of complaining yep. and we'll just get used to it. So Rob Manfred said that this is his last term, too, mm -hmm. to be the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I think it takes him through 2029. Yes. yes. Yeah. And he'll be 70 then. And he announced he's stepping down in 2029. That's how, if you looked at all the headlines, it said mm -hmm. Rob Manfred stepping down. And then you clicked on the article yeah. and it says in 2029. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. He'll be able to play a little bit more golf. You know, it's interesting. Like, Bud Selig is always going to be tied into the steroid era. And for Rob Manfred, I, I wonder what his lasting legacy will be in baseball. Maybe role changes. That's yeah. been a good mm -hmm. thing for the game. I also think when he called the World Series trophy a piece of metal and how he handled <laughs> the Houston Astros cheating scandal, I, it's not a good look for no. him or baseball. So be interesting what uh, that tenure, you know, what people associate him and that name with uh, baseball. I'm going to go with stupid looking jerseys. There you That's go. what you're going to remember. <laughs> May not like it. <laughs> I'm not going to get used to it, darn it. Uh, thank you, Brooke. Of course. That is, uh, they said, what? Here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch. We're going to give away some Luke Bryan tickets. And uh, we've got Rock and Roll on Friday on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
Let's rock. Let's rock today. So if you listen to our show on a regular basis, you'd never know that Brooke Grimsley grew up in Tennessee and, and uh, grew up f- a fan of Luke Bryan. So I want you, Brooke, to t- teach me how to properly say Luke Bryan in Tennessean. No, you've been doing a fantastic job, I have to say. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's full Tennessean, but it's a great little southern accent you got going on. Southern accent I got going on? Yeah, okay, a great good. little southern accent. So it, and not the biggest fan of Luke Bryan. I think he's fine, oh. but not the biggest fan. <laughs> the worst I, word in the language. I told you guys I'm more of a Chris Stapleton. Stapes. Yes, Chris Stapleton, and I know a lot of people like Zach Bryan now as well. I like some of his music, George Strait. I like more throwback okay. guys. I just want to know, when I say Luke Bryan, I'm kind of leaving out the why. Mm-hmm. Luke, Luke Bryan, is that correct? Or should I It use sounds right. Luke, Luke Bryan. Yeah, it yeah. sounds right. Luke, Luke, okay. I'm well, feeling it. Okay, thanks. Cool. I like it. 101 ESPN is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan. Lawn tickets at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater on July 28th. You can also find a bonus chance to register to win tickets to see Luke Bryan at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. And tickets for Luke Bryan are on sale now, or you can just text in and answer our question, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO, for your chance to win tickets to the show. Uh, Matthew's got a question for you. What do you got, Matthew? Well, the snow outside has got me thinking about uh, a non-sports trivia question because I don't get to think about those a lot, but they do pop into my head. So I thought of something and I found it. According to the National Weather Service, what is the latest it has ever snowed in St. Louis? The oh, date. I love this. And obviously, one. you can't tell me November. You know, you know what I'm saying. What the closest date to like a summer date that it ever I snowed in St. It. Louis? According to the National Weather Service, okay. people are chintzy. People will try to slick, like will try to slip past if I yeah. leave the door open, Danny. So I got to cover every single exit, or else Understood. else we this get it. So. Interesting. I do remember a Cardinal opening day being snowed out in the eighties. So, I remember that. Uh, that would be one that I would give. That would track. It, yeah. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. I uh, think I, it might go into May. I, I could see that happening. Yeah, I was but thinking I, there was one in May, but I could be wrong. I hmm. do not pay such close attention to the National Weather Service that I would actually know the answer to this question if it were on a fight. Well, that's because we're <laughs> second alert, so we're never the first to this information. It takes us a minute to get there, but we will get you that information eventually. We're kind of like pro football <laughs> talk of weather. We're, we're an aggregator. Yes. <laughs> we go collect the information elsewhere and then we say reportedly. Yes. Do you notice that that's all over X now where these there's these Twitter accounts or X. Uh, I, I hate all that X and Twitter, whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about. But there's so many of these people that just take reports from other people and then they don't credit them really whatsoever. But then they make this huge post about it and they gain so many social media followers. Right. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, let somebody else do the work, like we do with Tempe and the gang, Matt Chambers and everybody yeah, else over it. Yeah, we just wait for them, and yeah. then we get it to you. So we, we are second alert weather here at 101 ESPN. Well, we'll wait for the answer there, and let's talk about something that's going on over on the coast because the Oakland A's can't get anything right because, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if this whole Oakland thing is going to happen, and right now, even if it does happen, the earliest they're going to be playing in uh, Las Vegas would be 2028, so they got to figure out three years of playing. So here right now is the dueling um, uh, press releases going on because they actually did... A- 
meet with the Coliseum Authority to talk about potentially leasing to stay in Oakland for the for some of those three years, maybe all of those three years. Here are the uh, statements. We're glad to be in direct communication with the A's, said Lee Hansen, Oakland's chief of staff. The meeting was very direct and very honest. I don't think anyone was posturing or trying to overstate things. On the other side, the A's released a statement to a local TV station saying, we had a positive meeting with the city and county. We look forward to further discussions regarding a lease extension at the Coliseum, Coliseum for the interim period before the Vegas ballpark opens. Am I just an overly petty person that I want Oakland just to stick it to them and be like, yeah, go play in a minor league park? That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, That's I, what I would do okay. unless they make uh, – and obviously Vegas, the, the Vegas mayor isn't thrilled about the idea of them building a stadium where they're going to build the stadium either. What a mess. This is another thing that is a pox upon Rob Manfred. They uh, have looked at different sites, and if it goes to different sites in Vegas, then it goes to a public vote. And there could be some that say that that could be a roadblock to them moving to Vegas. Now, I would think that they'll figure it out because that would be an embarrassment for Major League Baseball. I feel for the fans. You know, after what we went through here with the Rams and understanding and the Cardinals of um, how tough it is to lose your hometown team, but to be a lame duck for three years playing in that stadium, be awfully tough to swallow. And they were purposely tanking. That That's the other thing. Fisher definitely was not investing what he should have, and it was very clear. It makes me really sad for the fans, too, because it just doesn't seem right. And you know what's really bad is that they were very happy with the idea of going to San Jose, which wouldn't have affected the... They would have moved further away from the Giants than they already are, but the Giants shut that down because they had territorial rights. Right now, those two teams are only eight miles away, right? and they would have been like 45 miles away if they would have gone to San Jose, and the Giants shut that down. And that's another thing where baseball's leadership and the owners should have had a vote that said, no, we're taking that territory away from you and we're giving it to Oakland. You can have Oakland, Giants. You can have Oakland, but no, you are not... Giants, you don't own San Jose. That's ridiculous. All these leagues look at Vegas as being the promised land, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, they just feel like it's going to be endless money when they get there. I guess it's worked out for the Raiders. You had a Super Bowl there. That Mm -hmm. makes some sense. I think we're not far away from having an NBA team there. Mm -hmm. That's that's coming. You already have ice hockey there. You got the NHL. And now you're going to have Major League Baseball. I, I don't know. We'll see if they get the public voting or if it goes down to that for the Vegas Stadium. It's one thing to be able to fill a hockey arena with 18,000 people. That's right. I know where you're going with this. Half of your games are on weekends. It's another thing altogether to have the Pittsburgh Pirates in town for a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you have to play 81 of those. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I know they're expecting, because of what happens with football and hockey, expecting out of town fans to travel to their games. But again, even if it, well, it's July, it's 120 degrees in Vegas. Are people from Pittsburgh really, or Cincinnati, or in their league, Kansas City, Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota, are those people really going to make the effort? A lot of them don't even go to their home games. Take it even further, Tampa Bay, Miami. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. yeah. Is a Tampa Bay fan that never goes to a game in Tampa really going to make the effort to go to games in Vegas? Probably not. Well, maybe. (laughs) There's uh, that draw of, you know, the casinos and everything. But that would be weird if you can't even go to your own home team's game, but you'll go out to Vegas. And you're taking time away from being in the casino. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Just in between. There's a lot more other things to do out there than sit down for three and a half hours for a baseball game. For me, this is my personal opinion, and I love baseball, but... 
for me, it seems just so much lot more logical to go to one weekend game, whether it's following a football team or a hockey team out there than following a baseball team. And by the way, the football seasons and the hockey seasons are much more palatable in terms of weather in Vegas than the baseball season is. I would assume it's got to be a dome stadium in Vegas, right? A retractable roof. A retractable roof or whatever, yeah. Uh, and by the way, shouts again to Caitlin Clark, who became the all-time leading scorer with 3,569 points. But it is interesting to me because I learned this yesterday. We had a couple texters point this out, and I wanted to throw this out for everyone. Uh, so they only counted, started counting women's basketball records in 1982. And so before that, a woman by the name of Lynette Woodard started Kansas in the late 70s to early 80s, and she scored 3,649 points. But the NCAA didn't officially recognize women's basketball stats at the time, so technically that's why Caitlin Clark with 3,569 is already the leading scorer. She will pass Lynette Woodard, but I do want to give a shout-out to both Caitlin Clark, who's going to pass this record, and also to Lynette Woodard, who apparently has been sitting here for the last 30 years with the record and no official acknowledgement, which is just horrible. So Lynette Woodard is Deacon Jones, basically. Essentially, yes, exactly. It's exactly the, 100%. 1982. Yep. Same, the stats started being counted for the sack in yeah. 1982, where Deacon Jones was the leader. Exact same thing. But yeah, Lynette exactly. Woodard didn't have a three-pointer. That's that true. too. She didn't have a three-point I mean, shot. Think about that. Yeah, and uh, first woman to ever uh, play with the Harlem Globetrotters, and she went on to oh, dominate yeah. basketball. She won a gold medal with them when they uh, won the gold medal here in the L.A. Olympics back in the 80s. So we had uh, Pistol Pete and Long Shot Lynette. There you go. <laughs> I, like she's cl- I think she's 62 points away from Pistol Pete for the yeah. all-time college basketball record, Ooh. men or women. Yeah, she's fun to watch. Great job today by our producer, audio, video engineer, Matthew Rocchio, who, by the way, had to sit in traffic for a car accident and uh, handled yourself with a plum. That was Great job. first time in two years I've gotten hit with the, uh, uh, actually being in traffic on 270 coming here. Well, it so was, it was shocking. somebody lost a tire <laughs> in the southbound lane, and the tire went into the northbound lane and caused oh. problems. Wow. So I saw Hopefully that on, okay. uh, on yeah, first alert, okay. not second alert, mm. or 101 ESPN Jetcopter 2. I, I saw that on the on the first alert for weather. Thank you, Paige Halsey, for that information this morning. <laughs> uh, Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. I love yeah, it. Your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? Uh, kits available, by the way, over at the uh, City Team Store across the street from City Park. That's open till 7 o'clock today, so you want to check out the new kit. And uh, we've got, do we have a photo up? Somebody's got a photo up. Just go to the, the City oh, site. Oh, no, I'm going to post it, yeah. Oh, okay, good. I'm going to get that out uh, there. Danny Mac, did you have a fun week? Always. Thanks for having me in. Hey, you're, it, it's your show, man. It's okay, your show, well, too. thanks for... Uh, Putting up with me. We love you, brother. Okay, love you too. (laughs) Uh, Have a great weekend. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. And now for something completely different. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.